Hello and welcome to episode 55 of the Ram Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Jose. And this episode we're calling the genetics of Pokemon. For two reasons, actually. Uh, one of them is that there's the very obvious Pokemon X and Y pun. X and Y, chromosomes, genetics, we're so clever. But in reality, there's actually a more in-depth reason for why we're doing this. So about a year ago, we said that Pokemon was getting kind of stale. This was way back in episode 27 of the podcast. Now here we are, a year later, and X and Y has arrived, and there's some much-needed change in the, in the series, at least on a surface level. So instead of just straight-up impressions of the game like we do with most of the games we discuss, what we're going to do is we are, um, later in the show, we're going to discuss X and Y, but we're not going to discuss it as a standalone, here's X and Y. We're going to discuss it in, like, the context of the series as a whole. So what is it about Pokemon that makes it so strong? What are, what's the DNA of the franchise, or the genetic code, or whatever you want to call it, that makes the series this popular even 17 years after it first hit stores way back in the 90s? So that's coming later in the show. Uh, it's gonna be. I think it's gonna be an interesting discussion. Um, we kind of sort of plot out what we're gonna say, and both me and Jose have some different views. So it'll be interesting to see what we find to be the real highlights of Pokemon. But before we get to all that, there's of course news. Uh, we have things like um, the introduction of Low Rule in a Link Between Worlds. We have a discussion on the Watch Dogs delay, uh, some new game announcements, and adjacent sales corner with some uplifting Ooh. Wii U sales news. So uh, all that stuff. If you want to access anything directly, be it the Pokemon discussion the news, or if you just want to replay Jose's Woo, you can find them all as timestamps, except Jose's Woo, that was a lie, uh, on the blog post that goes with this episode at ramtown.com. Man, it's false advertising. I know, I'm sorry. I I feel like we're going to get sued now. So, uh, let's just start with the news. Let's jump right in with uh, What's Up With Nintendo, which is, of course, as I said, A Link Between Worlds has a new world. So, we may all be playing Pokemon. But over in New York, and actually around the world, Zelda producer Eiji Numa has been talking up the new Zelda Link Between Worlds, which is set to come out in just about a month's time, on November 22nd. So he had a Comic-Con panel at New York Comic-Con, which is kind of cool that Nintendo's doing panels now. Like, I really hope they do it at San Diego Comic-Con next year. You said this is their second, right? Their first panel was Wonderful 101 at PAX, and now they did this one at New York Comic-Con, so if the trend continues, we should get one when we go to San Diego Comic-Con in a year. But, uh, so he did that panel, and he also did a series of interviews, and to top that all off, they released a new trailer for the game, which I think looks great. It's, uh, there is one, well, the gameplay looks great, the graphics... Oh, yeah, I'm I'm still, like, on the, I'm not too fond of the the art style, the graphics. I like the top-down view, I'm not sure what to think when they show Link head-on, and he looks like a polygonal PlayStation 1 character, kind of. He kind of looks like if they took... Like, one of the links from, I don't know, like, the CDI game and, like, put him in 3D. Like, something about him's um, just, like, polygonal shapes. Like, something about him's a little off. But I think the gameplay looks great in the trailer. And they did some nice, like, medleys of the various music from Zelda. And it is a really good trailer, I thought. Minus, minus Link being weird looking. Although, when you play the game, when you actually play a game, it looks really good in motion. At least it did at, Com- at San Diego Comic-Con. But, so check out the trailer if you haven't already. It's about two and a half minutes of just Zelda. Uh, and the trailer brought about some revelations that tied into what uh, series producer Numa, E.G. Numa, was saying at Comic-Con in New York. And that was the introduction of the secondary world. So we have Hyrule, as everyone knows. And now we have its companion world, its complementary world. That's not quite the same, but pretty close. And that's Low Rule. So this is not... You get it? High and low. Hyrule. Low Rule. It, 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 it's a pun, you were saying. So this is not the same world from Link to the Past, huh? 
No, it's different. Oh. That one was the Dark World. It's an alternate version of Hyrule. This one's like a different underworld of sorts. Gotcha. Yeah, it's low Hyrule. Low rule. But, I, don't, I mean, okay, first of all... Gonna, is there going to be a mid-rule at some point? No, because I think it's just high and low. Like, they just bump up against each other. And they each have their own princess. So we have Zelda in high rule, and we now know that we have Hilda in low rule. And two things. One, Hilda is not as good of a name as Zelda. And two, aren't those, like, the two older ladies? I don't remember what oh, they Sabrina, were. Yeah, the yeah and Sabrina. Yeah. Hilda yeah. Zelda. Yeah. yeah, so someone at Nintendo Treehouse must be a Sabrina fan. And someone at Nintendo Treehouse must feel very clever for coming up with low rule and high rule. Because, like, that's that's just, I don't know. I can't decide, if, I still can't decide if I love it or hate it. Like, it's either the most brilliant naming scheme ever, or it's the most terrible pun I've heard in a very long time. It really straddles the line. Like, I, I just don't know. But, um, either way, whatever you want to call the new world, it and Hyrule are kind of entangled in the plot for A Link, to, a Link Between Worlds, which we now know involves this sorceress named Yuga. Who's going around framing people. Who's not, literally. Yeah. Oh, that's better than low rule. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Yuga is this sorceress that's using abilities. Sorceress? Sorcerer. Sorcerer, oh. thank you. If it was a sorceress, it'd just be a witch. Well, it looks like a witch. Here's what's confusing. Okay, we'll get back to what Yuga's doing in a sec. Yuga looks like a female character. Yuga has long hair. Yuga Does he? has I lipstick. Thought, I thought he looked like a male. Just very flamboyant. Mm. To me, he looks female, but he's male. But he's like, he is male. He reminds me, he's like Gearhim. That's exactly right. what he's like from Skyward Sword, right? Yeah. Or that, I remember, he kind of reminded me from that, um, he was the main villain in one of the Final Fantasy games. I never played it, but I was, he's like a clown, I just remember. I have no idea what you're talking about. I think his name was Kefka, maybe? Oh, I know what you're talking I remember about. Like, Kefa, 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 I remember some of the art they show, like, you know how Final Fantasy has, like, that fancy-looking art. Yeah. Like, that sometimes, like, he looks kind of... Oh, the Jester like, guy from Final Fantasy IV. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know Super Nintendo? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that one. It's because he was also kind of clowny and kind of groovy. Yeah, but no, this, I think Yugo looks way more female than... He looked just, like, girly. Yugo looks like a girl. Like, it's slightly different. Or a, what, an old woman, I should say. But it's interesting because Anuma was saying in an IGN interview that um, they purposely do all this gender ambiguity, like in Skyward Sword with... Uh, Gearhim? Gearhim, yeah. Whatever. Or Gearhim. Gearhim, I think. So, that, like, in that, or, like, in this now with Yuga, they like playing... I don't know why, but they seem to like playing with the concept of gender ambiguity. And even in, in A Link Between Worlds, Yuga sings at times. Which is random. But well, I mean, like it, to it, think it, it, he it, it sings really in a very high falsetto to further confuse the genders. I mean, this is a very, like, extreme, I guess, case of it. But uh, I was, um, I remember I read it or watched something, but um, apparently having gender ambiguity within the villain is nothing new. And Disney movies have been pretty much doing that. Like, all the villains have a very... That's true. What's his name from Aladdin has lipstick and eyeliner. Who's the bad guy in Aladdin? I'm blanking out. Jafar? Yeah, he has eyeliner. Yeah, on. and then the guy in Pocahontas, like, he wears pink. That's and true. Sings, That's interesting. And acts very flamboyant, too. And That's weird. I wonder and, if there's and, some... And Scar also kind of has this very... The way he acts is very... He has, like, a thespian vibe. Yeah, and then, yeah. then he does this weird dance. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, it's interesting that villains do that. I wonder the guy he's missing is a, a fuzzy thing around his shoulders. Right. So. Yeah, it, it is strange. You're right. But either way, regardless of Yuga's gender... What Yuga does in the game is entraps, going back to your framing pun, entraps people in paintings on walls. Why? Because he, she, it can. 
he can. Yeah. So you Link, saw how well it worked for Bowser in '64. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, so he Link is utilizing this wall entrapment to his advantage to travel between low rule and high rule by going through cracks in the walls, which is how the worlds are brought together. So that's how that happened. That's what's going on with the plot, at least, and that explains the crazy. And the trailer is just crazy, like so transitional these cracks, things. I assume they appeared at some point during the game and not were just always there. Like, oh, I can't just I can't get through these cracks if only I was paper thin. Well, they all know the cracks go between the worlds. Well, that's what I mean. That's what, like all, all this time there's just been cracks of glowing. Yeah, there's purple cracks everywhere you go of glowing purple because I mean these oh. cracks don't look normal. Well, maybe they start. Gl- it's a video game. Don't try and figure it out. But, but I mean, maybe they've always glowed purple, and they just assume, oh, it's the glowing purple crack. <laughs> it's just the way things are. <laughs> it's just the way the world is. It's how high rule is, and how low rule is, and they never knew the other existed. Although, they must have, to some extent. But either way, um, in that same IGN interview that I knew it was talking about Yuga's weird gender issues, um, he also talked about gameplay, which is the real, you know, the part that actually matters about Zelda games. Sure, story helps. But you're playing it for the puzzles and the exploration and the dungeon, dungeons. So um, he was talking about why they're letting players choose to do dungeons in any order. And it's actually kind of interesting because he feels that by doing it this way, there's more of a trial and error sort of thing where players have to go experiment with different items in different dungeons and really like go do some guesswork and then see what works and see what doesn't and come mm. back and swap items and go That's back. That's kind of annoying. Yeah, on it's one like, hand, like, oh, it does. I want to go do this dungeon with see if I could do it with the hammer and hook shot, and you go like, but, oh, well, I but guess I can't. I yeah, but then you find, but then, well, they're not that far apart. But they just go to the next dungeon. But he was saying that it, uh, yeah, it's better than the linear path because it gives more freedom for you to do what you want. It's like, it's like Zelda goes GTA. It's like yeah, in GTA you can go to anywhere, but you can only access certain things when you get the abilities at certain points or buy the certain weapon or whatever. Yeah, yeah I got you. So it's kind of a similar idea. But um, with that said. The dungeons aren't going to be all, like, equal footing. He said there's going to be two main tiers. There's going to be, like, an easier tier for the first half of the game and a harder tier for the second half. And the second half's tier will require players to do what he called different, quote, actions. Not items, actions, which makes me wonder what that exactly means. Because that's a very specific word choice he made. In my opinion. So, I don't know. It's kind of intriguing. But, uh, he also shared another tidbit actually with Mashable that um which is a social media site really weird that they got an interview with him but point being social media news point being uh because it's now not linear for the first time ever they had to actually replicate all the cutscenes multiple times to be set with different dungeon paths that you choose to oh. take it's like you're gonna this plot's gonna progress it sounds like you know once you beat dungeon number one whatever your number one is that's when this happens that's how that's how they can skirt around the, the, the old linear structure yeah, yeah. So, which is how a lot of games do it, obviously. But for Nintendo, this was, like, one well, of the first times they had to actually, like, redo all the cutscenes with different settings and different items equipped and that sort of thing. So, so that probably required a lot more extra work on their part, but hopefully the trade-off pays off. Poor or, Nintendo. Poor, poor Nintendo. But um, the other half of the gameplay that's of note with uh, Link Between Worlds is the shop and the fact that you don't just get items. Kind of thing, it's a non-linear thing. You have to rent and buy items. And it's interesting because... Um, the shop itself came about kind of in a similar way to how New Super Mario Bros. 2 had the coins, where it's like, oh yeah, there's all these coins in Mario, but they don't do anything. Let's make a game about the coins. With this one, it was literally, oh yeah, there's all these rupees, and after a certain point in every Zelda game, there's no point in collecting rupees. This is what I knew what I was saying, not, not me. Like, you get everything you need, and then you're just getting rupees. It's like, that's great, I have all these useless rupees. So he's like, well, why don't we make the rupees an integral part of the game, for the whole game? Hence the shop. Hence buying items. And originally, he was only going to let you buy items, not rent items. 
but then he himself, through his own personal, like, picking up of new hobbies, he'd always rent something and then go buy it once he likes the hobby. So he's kind of taking that idea with the items. Like, you'll rent an item, you'll see if you like how it works in the dungeon, and you buy it if you like it to go to the harder dungeon where or whatever. You, where can you rent items? I don't know. I guess in Japan you can rent items wherever you want. I don't I'm know. rent this vacuum. Like, oh, well, actually, you could do that. There's, like, Rent-A-Center and those sort of places. Oh, oh yeah, you're right. Car rentals, but video game like rentals, furniture. movie rentals. Yeah. But appliances would fall under that vacuum, you could argue. But... Yeah. Yeah, I just think that's kind of interesting. I that. guess I'm thinking it more in terms of like a laptop or... You can rent those from Rana Center. Mm-hmm. That, wow. I, I they have like everything. They're like a Best Buy, but it's all rent. Oh, I really only thought they were furniture. I don't... They used I to. I wouldn't know. I don't rent things from Rana Center. This is not a paid endorsement for Rana Center. It's just a <laughs> statement of fact about what, who they are and what they do. But uh, but yeah, the, the, the one catch with A Link Between Worlds involving the Iron Rental, which I don't think I knew about until now, is if you rent an Iron instead of buy it, and then you go play a dungeon or whatever and you get a game over item's gone and you don't get your rupees back you have to go re-rent it but if you buy an item you keep it forever so that's where the difference comes in and why there's the two tiers oh. yeah it basically adds a little bit to the challenge because if you want to make it harder for yourself you can just only rent items for the whole game oh so when you rent items can i mean do they how do they make you return it you don't return it you oh i think you have an inventory of how many you can hold that would make sense i bet you can only hold like very limited amount of items possibly but yeah, I think that's well, I think you get to hold more over the course of the game. But one, remember that. yeah, one kind of uh, interesting tidbit. In addition to renting by items, you can upgrade items, and that doesn't require rupees. Instead, he was showing this at uh, New York Comic Con. You do this thing where you cre- collect these creatures called I don't even know how to say it, Miami's. That sounds too much like Miami. Miami's M A I A M I, Miami. Miami. Anyway, so you collect them and you go to this mother Miami who lives in a fairy fountain sort of cave thing in both high roll and low roll. She's one of the few creatures that can go between the two. And you give her stuff, all her kids back, and she upgrades your items for you. So, like, he showed that, like, the bow. Now you can shoot three bows at once, or three arrows at once from one bow shot, which is kind of... And they're all silver and shiny. And in the video, I was watching a video of the press conference, or of the panel, and I thought it was really fun because in the video, the... Literally, like, he shows the three bo- the three uh, arrows shoot out, and the crowd goes, oh, and just starts clapping and, like, cheering, and it's just like, it's just three arrows, guys. Yeah, Calm down. I've never seen a red shot before. Yeah, it's just, like, really funny how they freaked out. But either way, the more I hear about A Link Between Worlds, and the more I talk about it right now, because I've been kind of rambling about it, the more excited I am. Like, I'm really excited for this game. It's really fun when I play at Comic-Con, and, like, everything just sounds great. And on top of all that, Anuma's been hinting at some sort of Majora's Mask tie-in into the game he's been telling numerous outlets that if you uh beat the game there's gonna be a nice surprise or reference or something that will you'll appreciate as a majora's mask fan so i'm personally hoping that what happens is when you beat the game it unlocks an entire 3d port 3d remake of majora's mask within the game cartridge but realistically i don't no there's no way that's gonna happen it's just gonna be some little thing like Oh, look, there's the moon with the face. And then the bottom's going to say, thank you for playing. Uh, yeah, I'll say thank you for playing, and it'll show, like, the Majora's Mask mask just, like, whisk across the sky like a shooting star. <laughs> I'll say thank you for playing with a question mark for no reason. Yeah, <laughs> thank you for playing. But, um, yeah, I I don't think whatever he's hyping about Majora's Mask is going to be that big of a deal, but it's nice that he acknowledges that there are people that want the game and put something in the game in return. So that's the link between worlds. I feel like I said a lot without... Yeah, I don't know. Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I 
I'm don't, excited about it. That's why. I, 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 know, I guess it's because I mean I don't really have much to say about the game because I guess it looks cool, but I'm not really right. You you it. you don't play Zelda that. I, you're from my understanding, you're more if you play Zelda, it's the console ones, and even then you tend to just watch your brother play and you just like watching the experience of it. I don't know. I'm weird. I'm I'm very very picky about Zelda. Like I've only played Wind, Wind Waker, Waker like many many times. I played. Minish Cap many, many times, and I played Ocarina of Time many, many, many times. But, but nothing are, else? Yeah, I guess the other ones just never really come. Four Swords. Four Swords. Oh, Four Swords, yeah. yeah. Four Swords for GameCube and Game Boy Advance. I played both. Yeah, I don't know. Does anyone, do, they all, do they all have Toon Link? Yeah, they all have Toon Link except for... What? They don't all have Toon Link. Oh, when Wake Up and Minish played, that's like, all the yeah. ones I played. Four Swords have... does not. The original Four Swords does not. That was Link to the Past Link. Because it was bundled with Link to the Past on Game Boy Advance. Oh, yeah. No, but I didn't play the year before. The version. Oh, you didn't play till the anniversary edition? Yeah, because I didn't uh, really... It still wasn't Toon Link until... Oh, yes, yeah. it was. Never mind. You're right. Yeah, listen. The only anomaly is um, Ocarina of Time. But I only played that because there was a pre-order for Wind Waker. So right. It all comes back, yeah. It all comes back to I Toon Link. I guess I only like Toon Link. Toon Link is cool. He's one of my favorite Smash Bros. characters. Yeah. He, he... I like him better than normal Link. Yeah, definitely. He's definitely more fun to use than normal Link. Yeah, for sure. Say. But, uh, Anyways. So, yeah, so besides Zelda, Nintendo did, not at Comic-Con, just generally, reveal a little bit more about Mario Party Island Tour, which conveniently comes out the exact same, or inconveniently, I should say, comes out the exact same day as uh, A Link Between Worlds and Mario 3D World. Wow. I don't know why they're doing them all at once. Like, they don't have anything else. Don't and... they realize that some people want to buy more? Well, I think it's because they're trying to cram them all in before uh, Black Friday, so all three can have good sales. And they're trying, they were trying to avoid the launch of PS4 and Xbox one, because they probably were like, oh, well, those are going to launch in the early weeks of November, so let's do all three games on one day. Unfortunately for them, the one day they picked happened to be Xbox One's launch day. But they did avoid PS4, so. But anyway, Mario Party, uh, the new thing about Island Tour is the Street Pass functionality was confirmed. Now, we speculated, I want to say last episode, maybe two yeah, episodes ago, episode. right, about um, what Street Pass could be, and we were saying it better not just be leaderboards with high scores. It better be like Mario Kart or something where it's a ghost. At of, least. Yeah, where it's like the ghost of the character. The ghost of the person who's Street Pass, you can play against the minigames, and it's like their AI data. Yeah. Well, I'm happy to report that we were totally spot on with that. That's exactly what it is. Like, to the T. We should, we should, Nintendo should be paying us, basically, is what I'm saying. We should be consultants for Nintendo and, like, design everything about all their games, right? The games are going to be harder. Yeah, I don't think... In my no, idea, no one will enjoy them anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Except you. But, um... Yeah, so that's what Street Pass is going to be, which is better than I expected. I don't know if it's still... It still, I don't think, makes up for online, but it certainly beats what could have been really lame Street Pass implementation. But the, the thing that I find interesting... Yeah, I mean, what's Mario Party without, like, seeing your friend's face when you steal stars or not steal Well, you wouldn't see their face. You'd see their character being controlled by their face. No, that, well, that's it, because you're not playing online. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's true. That's true. You can't see their real-time reactions. That's what you mean. I thought yeah. you meant a little virtual face. Of course. But, uh, yeah, it's interesting, though, because they are addressing, kind of, the fact that there's no online mode by beefing up the single-player offerings. Like, they're making a point, Nintendo, of saying, look at all the single-player you can do in this Mario Party. We know you're not always with friends. So in addition to the Street Pass, which is one single-player avenue you can go down, they're also... Um, I mean, it's a portable game, so they kind of have to emphasize exactly. the single-player stuff regardless. Because exactly. I mean. even though they have download play of the entire game, where you can play the entire game with friends with only one cartridge on multiple 3DSs, most of the time you might not. You might not always have your friends there, like you said. Yeah. It's portable. You'll be on a bus by yourself or something. 
But mm-hmm. so like, to address, I, I can see that in a very social alternate world where some people are on the bus and after they're just like, "Hey, everybody, let's play Mario Party!" Oh, yeah. that's the commercial. Talking you know, that's the commercial. About... Yeah, it's good. Well, everyone, no, everyone, no, everyone has a 3ds. The commercial be yeah, everyone's playing their 3ds and one person just gets up and goes, "It's time for a <laughs> Mario Party!" and everyone's like, "Party!" and then the uh, remix of Mario theme starts and everyone suddenly transforms into Toad outfits and they're all playing Mario Party and then the bus turns into I don't know Wario's purple. Cadillac, or something. Really? I lost. I lost steam halfway through there. It was going good, and then the joke just fell apart. Anyway, so the single player stuff they're adding to Mario Party Island Tour actually could potentially be interesting. Is they're adding a mini game tower where you like progress up the tower and see how high you can go and get, you get scored on the mini games. It sounds a lot like the they battle had... towers in Pokemon. No, 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 no. They had a mini game tower in Mario Party Four. Oh, but how do you remember that? That's so oddly specific. And my, well, they they always have some sort of tower equivalent. Like in Mario Party Two, they had the minecart, which is pretty much oh, the, true. the one player level progression. Did they do different the difficulties for those? Because this one, yeah, one, oh, okay, it, it got harder and harder. As you well, no, no, no. Could you set the difficulty in advance? Because no, this one, there's three difficulties. To no, choose you just from. progress from easy to medium. Oh, to okay. Two, yeah, this one apparently it's like you pick your difficulty and then go, and the AI yeah. is hard. And the one from Mario Party Four is it. Yeah, it has to be four, because I remember it was just a tower, and you just climb up it, and every right. minigame you complete, you just keep going up and up right. and up. Right, So, I don't know if it's the same thing, but... Yeah. They have dabbled. Yeah, one other... one. Did they dabble on this in the past ones? They have something now called Mario Party Points, where everything you do in the game earns you points to unlock music. Well, they've had similar things. They've had tickets. They've had tickets. I guess it's the same thing. Tickets but unlocked music, others. character art. Yeah. Yeah. Characters. Characters. Uh, yeah, voice clips, yeah. yeah. I guess it is all by the book. Figurines, then. or whatever. Yeah, um, I think that was my forty-seven. Right, right. But yeah, everything. Apparently, everything in the game will get you these points that you can then redeem for stuff. So that's in- supposedly going to encourage players that are playing alone to keep playing. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, I w- one interesting note is the games we learned the developer. It's ND Cube who did Mario Party Nine, which was the crazy like we're changing everything. You all move together, Mario Party. Uh, it was. They did that. They did Wii Party. They're doing uh, Wii Party U, which comes out I next like week. I like Wii Party. The minigames in Wii Party were pretty good. Yeah, so they did all that. So if you like that, you might... Board game was whatever, but yeah. Yeah. You might have a renewed interest in Island Tour then, because it's the same guys. Or not. Okay. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Like, personally, personally, I feel yeah. like it would make sense for them to not release... I know why they're releasing on November 22nd. I know we already talked about this a little, but I feel like it'd make more sense. Like, I'd be more interested, even without online... If it came out, like, in an off month, not the same day as the two high-profile Nintendo games of the holidays. Yeah, I can't get any higher profile than, than Mario and Zelda. I know. And then you, we still have Pokemon to play. And then there's Wii um, Sports Mario Club. Mario can't compete and... with Mario. I know, like, it doesn't make not sense. Core Mario cannot compete with Core Mario. Yeah, it, it, it just doesn't work. But it's just like, why would Nintendo put themselves in a position where they're having their fans have to turn their attention away from Mario and Zelda to play, like, B-tier Mario Party? It just doesn't, I don't know. To me, it doesn't make sense. And it's not just Nintendo that does this sort of thing. Like, third parties are running into this issue because they all cram their games during the holidays. It's like you have Sonic Lost World competing with all Nintendo's first party stuff. And you had Watch you have Watch Dogs competing with all that. Well, you had Watch Dogs competing with all that stuff because it got delayed. Which actually, I guess, but like, my point being... Is that like, your this, transition? That's pretty good. Thank you. It was my transition. But it was, it was unintentional, sort of. Because what I was going to say is my point is, like, regard. Like, third party, Rayman's another example. Like, you can't cram them all at the same time Nintendo games come out. You have to spread them. Which brings me to Watch Dogs. So, yeah, now I'm transitioning. Here's one um, game you'll be watching longer. Here's one dogs. thing you'll be having to keep an eye on a little longer than you wanted. And that's the progress of Watch Dogs. Because you know what? It got delayed. 
no one can see that I'm pointing and having a, 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 a sly look on my face as I say this. But anyway, so kind of like what happened with Rayman Legends, Ubisoft, and this came out of nowhere. Ubisoft announced like literally about a month before the game comes out. Hey, remember that really hyped up game we had? It's in Chicago. It's in the future. You have a gadget. You're hacking stuff. It's going to be like GTA, but futuristic hacking, and it'll be crazy good. Or so we think. Remember that? Remember how we were going to bundle it with a PlayStation 4? Like, you could buy the PlayStation 4 and you get the game. Like, it's going to be a system seller. Remember mm-hmm. that? Well, forget about it for about four months. We'll see you in the spring. They delayed it out of the blue. Please understand. <laughs> yeah, please understand. They brought in our watch just to say, please understand. Then they flew him back from France to Japan. But, um... Yeah, no, they delayed it. They just, out of the blue, were like, yep, it's not coming to after spring. It's not up to our quality standards. We want to polish it. We want to, you know, tune it up a bit. We'll see you sometime after our fiscal, fiscal year ends on March 31st. I remember so it's going to be April or later. I remember reading that they said um, Amazon will still honor the pre-orders. What do they mean by that? A lot, well, for the PS4 bundle. Because yeah. here's where the big issue comes in, is people pre-ordered a special PS4 bundle that came with the game in the box. So what happens when the game's delayed is, when the game gets delayed, what happens to your bundle? Does do you still get a PS4 just sent without the game, like sans the game, or, you just or do you lose everything? Well, you wouldn't lose it. I assume you just have to wait. No, you will lose it. Target canceled them. Oh, Amazon didn't. It's kind of like like different companies didn't know how to. Most companies are honoring it and just literally removing the game from the bundle. But in some cases, the way the stock was allocated, it sounds like in, at least in Target's case, they had to cancel them. So people that thought they had a day one PS4. Well, now they'll be standing in line at midnight to get one, which kind of sucks. But more of the point um, for us Nintendo fans, the Watch Dogs delay is just an issue of a game gone missing. So the question becomes, why did this happen? I I would argue... Now does it have to compete with all the other Nintendo stuff? Yeah, well, but that's not... Like, the Wii U version is not what led to the delay. I think... I think what the bigger thing is, is they had two issues on their plate. One is there's a rumor that the game simply was not up to Ubisoft's quality standards. Which, you'd be like, okay, that makes sense, but this is Ubisoft. Last year, they released Assassin's Creed 4 with 44 giant bugs on the game disc, and then they put out a day one patch to fix them. Like, they don't have a high-quality standard. Like, they'll just push whatever to sell it, and then they can put out a patch. So if this didn't meet their standards... Maybe it's a new standard? Like, a new... I doubt new that. New policy that they just... No, no way, no way. Like, whatever <laughs> whatever was wrong with the game, it was seriously busted if they had to delay it. And, I mean, it, it is... got hacked. It got hacked. Oh, that's good. No, but it, it is true that, like, I've noticed on the internet, like, hype is dying down a little. Like, the more people see the game, the less impressed they are, because it's just starting to look more and more like a GTA. Which brings you up, which brings up what I think might be the second reason it's delayed, and that's GTA. Grand Theft Auto V, if it comes out within 60 days of Grand Theft Auto V, as planned, everyone's going to be comparing it. Everyone going into the holidays is going to go, should I get GTA or this other open world game and they're gonna go with gta that's the one with all the buzz so why risk cannibalizing what you want to be the pillar like the start of your big new franchise by putting it up against gta when they can move it nine months away when no one's gonna be thinking about gta anymore or talking about gta or whatever so i think those might be the two reasons probably more leaning towards that wasn't up to call the ubisoft high quality standards but but going but kind of like looping back to what I was saying with that Mario Party transition into Watch Dogs, um, yeah. it actually is kind of good for us Wii U owners that got delayed. Like, I'm perfectly cool with this. I mean, I don't think I would have bought it. It was scheduled to come out two days before Mario, uh, Mario 3D World. I don't know about you, but I would not have bought it two days before no, Mario yeah, 3D I mean, World. I was, I mean, 
I'm interested in the game. Like, it's on my radar, but if yeah. it was going to come out in that time frame, I would not have bought it for sure. Right, but now it's coming out in, say, April or May, which is traditionally a much lighter release period. It might, hopefully not, but it could be another Wii U software drought at that point. And then suddenly this game looks a lot more appealing when there's nothing else. Yeah. So, on the Nintendo side of things, this could actually help the Wii U version sell better, I think. And it certainly is keeping our interest a little more than it used to, so that's a plus. But it'll be interesting to see... Like, there's no real... Obviously, there's no way to compare because it won't be out in November, but I'm curious to see how sales do when it comes out in the spring. And hey, a, 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 it's a confirmed Wii U third-party game coming in 2014. We don't have very many of those. I mean, granted, it's supposed to be this year, but better than nothing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um... Yeah, you know, actually, while we're on the topic of Wii U versions of Watch Dogs specifically <laughs> that was me trying to do a transition and realizing halfway through it made no sense and just rolling with it while we're on the topic of the Wii version of Watch Dogs what I'm trying to say there's actually a bit more information on what our edition of the game will come with and it's about what you'd expect but it's nothing like mind blowing oh, so, so it will not, have off so it's not the hacking thing on the bottom well they didn't the say that's what's confusing content wise it's gonna be all the same this all by the way this all came out of a CVG interview with uh, the creative director of the game a guy named Jonathan Morin so he was saying that content-wise, it's going to be the same. Uh, it will have off-TV play. They will be utilizing the gamepad, but he didn't exactly... For controls, but he didn't say if that means hacking on the gamepad, but I'd be shocked if it didn't. It has mm. to mean that. What else would they use touchscreen for? That has to be it. Like, all the cell phone menus, or I map. hope. Yeah, the map and, like, the, all the cell phone menus. Because you know how, like... I don't know if you've seen footage of the game, but he has, like, all these different little cell phone menus that, like, pop up next to him and stuff. If you could just, like, touch the icons on the gamepad, it'd be so much easier than whatever else. Other you know those button control limitations? Those non-screen control limitations. There you go. Yeah. Wait, what? Yeah, I mean, those other consoles oh, that don't yeah. have the screen. Yeah. yeah, so they can utilize that totally. But um, beyond that, all he was willing to say is that the graphics are going to be better than PS3 and 360, which is good. But nowhere near as good as next gen, which makes sense. So basically, very few people will be able to tell the difference. Well, what he was saying is this going to be like somewhere in between. It's going to look closer to current gen, but there's going to be some aspects that definitely look better. So I think a better way of thinking of it is not no one will tell the difference. It's kind of, at least how I'm interpreting this, like how Need for Speed Underground, or yeah, Need for, Need for Speed Most Wanted, you, was, which came out back in March. Yeah. Where like the textures on like the roads looked insane and like the lighting and the like whatnot looked really good but for the most part is basically the ps3 and 360 version just with like the pc texture pack so i'm expecting watchdogs probably fall into that same category but and you know it's great that ubisoft is actually putting all this effort into watchdogs they do have assassin's creed 4 coming out as well black flag comes out uh soon like actually like next week i think already yeah it comes out october 29th which is kind of crazy that's that quick which is probably a third reason now that I think about it, that Watch Dogs got delayed, because I bet you uh, Assassin's Creed 4 is probably tracking lower than they want it to, because they had two big holiday titles. And they're like, well, if one's not quite ready and we're facing competition, why don't we just move it and just let Assassin's Creed take all the sales? Because I've already seen, like, anecdotally, I've always seen a ton of people online saying, like, oh, well, guess I'll get Assassin's Creed instead. So, But yeah, but what I was going to say about Assassin's Creed is, so Watch Dogs is getting, like, the full Wii U treatment. And Assassin's Creed, the core game, is getting that full Wii U treatment. But they're stopping there. They're not doing DLC for Wii U this time around, which kind of sucks. Uh, DLC was included on Assassin's Creed 3, which was a launch title for Wii U. 
but it was never quite on par with like the other versions. It was either released late or they didn't offer a season pass. They had to buy each pack, each like individual DLC thing separately through the eShop. So this time when they announced season pass for Assassin's Creed 4, they just didn't even bother saying anything about Wii U. And then when uh, I think it was Joystick or someone followed up, they're just like, oh, yeah, we're not doing that this time. Sorry. And Which assuming is... that also involves, uh, includes uh, the app, right? No, I think the app is there. Really? Yeah, the really? second screen experience. Huh. Well, it's baked into the game. It's not oh. really like a download thing. You just download it on your phone, and then you enter well, so your Ubi it, info. Yeah, and so it wasn't like, oh, you could send your ships to do stuff for you? Or yeah, yeah, and I think that's in there. But it's basically all the extra content they're crafting and selling separately they're not going to offer on Wii U, which is kind of lame. And I didn't really give a reason for why they're not doing it, but I'm guessing... That they looked at the DLC sales of Assassin's Creed 3, which once again, they kind of screwed up by releasing late and not doing a season pass for. So they probably looked at those sales, which were going to be low because they didn't do it right, and went, oh, wow, this didn't sell well. I, and then went under the assumption of, well, if this didn't sell well, why will Black Flag's DLC sell well? And decided it wasn't, a, you know, it wasn't worth it. They wouldn't be able to turn a profit. Why port it over? It's as if they're creating their own excuses. Basically, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because it's the it's good old Catch-22 of third-party Nintendo support. You know, they go, uh, by not offering DLC, they're guaranteeing that there's going to be weaker sales, and then the weaker sales will confirm that they made the right choice by not offering DLC, so then they'll stop supporting the system, because there will be weaker sales caused by the not-on-par version that's missing the DLC. It's like a crazy cycle that they're stuck in. Basically, by them going, we don't think it's going to sell well, they ensured it will not sell well, because they stopped supporting it equally. It's a really annoying habit of third parties on Nintendo platforms. I mean, Ubisoft for a while did break the cycle, like with Assassin's Creed 3, and they weren't, they didn't get great success, but even then they didn't do it right. Like, they released the DLC late, there was no season pass. Call of Duty, for example, from Activision never had DLC. Batman's missing, Batman Arkham Origins is missing multiplayer. Like, every single time, like, oh, well, look, we still support them, but they're just giving themselves an out by leaving out all these things not consciously they're not like right. well we're gonna undermine our wii u version so we never have to support the system but they just they're stuck in this like perpetual cycle of well we want to leave this out because it's not worth the money but then we don't make the money that we want because we didn't put the features in and it just keeps going and going and going i mean whatever puts bread on the table that's the problem well i mean for them yeah, yeah. what puts bread on the pit table is not supporting nintendo but yep. the difference between um whole grain bread and wheat bread isn't wheat whole? Isn't whole grain wheat? They're the same thing. Yeah, exactly. Touche. I don't know where you're you going. Meant to say white. Yeah, I figured. So, um, so while we're on the topic, I guess of bad DLC news, because that's apparently a thing now that ha- is ta- able to have multiple thing, multiple topics within. Um, we also got word that the Wii U edition of Toki Tori Two Plus, which once again Toki Tori Two had a free DLC pack, had all sorts of new stuff, and they were going to do a second one which is this one, the level editor, that's not happening anymore. The Wii U version has been canned. And at least this one's for... I mean, this one, it's not quite the same cycle of poor poor developer decisions because two tribes of developer, not two chains, two tribes. (laughs) I almost said two chains. I almost said two chains. I was like, whoa, two tribes. Um, They were saying that they had weaker than expected sales of the Wii U version of Toki Tori 2 Plus, which is a bummer because... I mean, you played it. You liked it. The charming yeah. little game. And uh, because of that, they didn't think it was worth the investment and the resources to bring a free level editor to Wii U since a level editor is already a pretty 
niche thing for a pretty small group of users. Like they're saying something like they expect 10% of users to use it. So if your sales are a little less than you expected, and you already are making something for a very minute set of people, what's the point of releasing the level editor at that point? Like, it's going to be like 10 people will use it or something. Yeah. So I can see where they're coming from. This one makes sense. This is like they released a game, they saw how it performed, and then they made a decision. However... I mean, there's already a lot of content on it to justify the price, so having a level yeah. editor in there would be... I mean, cool, but definitely unnecessary. Right. I mean, Not only that, though, but in the because they already made a promise to Tokyo Tour 2 Plus people, you can still get the level editor. They're going to give everyone that wants it a free copy of Tokyo Tour 2 Plus on Steam, so you can then use the level editor. Which is actually kind of neat. So I don't know if you're going to do that, but... Uh, maybe not. I mean, it's free. You might as but, well. I don't know. Level editors... I mean, they're always fun to play with for a while, but... Yeah. Yeah. Then they get kind of old. But, I mean, honestly, that goes way above and beyond what you would expect a publisher, a game developer to do. Especially an indie developer. They could easily just say, sorry, it didn't work out, and just leave it be. But they are really treating their fans well. They really care? Yeah, and not only that, but they tried really hard with this level editor. It came out that uh, they actually had like this idea that well, okay, so it did, the game didn't sell as well as we hoped, and we were originally going to have all the levels shared through Miiverse, but there won't be a big community. So what if we hooked it into Steam? Like, what if the Steam community and the Wii U community shared the same level editor selections? So what they were doing is they actually had Nintendo... They actually got Nintendo and Valve to talk to each other about Steam integration on Wii U. Like, and it started progressing. I can remember that. Yeah, both parties were on board with the idea. They seemed happy about it. It's just there's some... Like And what they wanted to do is use Steam Workshop, much like how Portal on PS3 you could hook into Steam. Yeah. So this would be you log into Steam within Tokitori 2 Plus on your Wii U, and then you just get access to all the level packs and you download them to the Wii U. Unfortunately, they apparently hit some technical hurdles, and that's when they decided, combined with the price, or not the price, the lack of sales, they say, okay, maybe this isn't the best idea, so they eased up and scrapped the plan. But imagine that, Nintendo and Valve working together. That would have been pretty cool. And it's it really... Maybe they could get them to make Half-Life 3. Or like... Throw money in their faces. Or like Team Fortress 2 with Mario character packs. Hats. <laughs> hats. Mario character hats, yeah. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, no, I, I think that would be an awesome partnership. I don't know if it's ever going to happen, but... I think more amazing than even that potential partnership is... That Nintendo would never have done anything like this a couple years ago. Letting Valve, like, hook in like that. That's, like, super you know new nintendo it kind of falls under the same thing as all of nintendo's other open policies like we we talked about this in august and only now for some reason it made waves in in blogs even though like nintendo life reported in august we talked about it on the podcast then but nintendo allows cross-platform play start now through eShop games so like real chess which is coming out soon and cube man 2 which is like this puzzle action thing that's also coming out soon both of those games will allow you to play people on other systems in the case of real chess, That's it's pretty cool. Yeah, in the case of real chess, it's like Android and iPhone. In the case of Q-Man 2, it's PC. But either way, the, you can play people on other systems. And apparently, at least in the case of real chess, the only system that doesn't support cross-platform play is PS3, and that's because Sony's blocking it. So Nintendo is now more open than Sony, which just sounds backwards when I say it out loud. I'm definitely capable because I yeah. got to play um, Portal 2 with someone. Yeah, yeah, with Valve they did. Oh, yeah, it. with Armando. Yeah, they did it with Valve, but hey, shout out to him. Yeah, uh, nice one. Yeah, but uh, with Valve they did it, but they don't seem to want to do it with smaller guys. But Nintendo's now just like, anyone can do anything on our systems, which is probably because they need the games. But but still, it's like such an about face for Nintendo. It's really nice to see. 
And really quick, going back to Tribes, uh, worth mentioning, they do have a new game in the works. They posted a teaser screenshot, I believe, on Miiverse. So whatever they're cooking up next is probably for Wii U. Um, and speaking of new games, actually, uh, that teaser is just one of many announcements that happened recently. Uh, so I guess we'll, there are a couple indie ones and one more major one, so I guess we'll start with the two indies and kind of work our way to the big, the big top dog one. So, uh, first up is, these were both through Kickstarter, I should mention, and they both were stretch goals that were achieved to bring them to Wii U. So first up is a game called The Fall, which is a tile that, uh, it's kind of like the exploration and gameplay of Super Metroid, but instead of fighting... Is that the one that's rated M? No, that's, uh, Knit Underground. Oh. But... Which is coming out, is which this, I played. Is this that artsy 2D platformer? This one? Yeah. No, uh, The Fall is, no, you're thinking of, I don't know what you're thinking of. The Fall is a... I think of that other one that, I think it was called Candle or something. No, never mind. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's something else, yeah, honestly. Yeah. yeah, but The Fall is, uh, Candle's already coming to Wii U, confirmed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But The Fall is, was just confirmed, and it's like, it kind of looks like Limbo. But the main character is a glowing visor, which kind of puts a nice effect on top of the, like, silhouetted, shadowy, black and white. Um, it kind of plays like Super Metroid, so you're exploring the world, getting items to unlock new areas. But instead of fighting enemies with guns and guns blazing, it looks like you do point-and-click style environmental interactions and puzzle solving, kind of like Monkey Island or one of those games. So it's like this weird hybrid of a bunch of different ideas that it looks intriguing. Uh, you kick, you're, you're controlling, you're not controlling a human, you're controlling an AI suit with an unconscious human in it. Who crashed on a planet and you're trying to get him off the planet, I believe. So it's Oh now I remember which one. Yeah. Yeah. But it uh it's like it has all these like overly almost overly done indie game tropes, because we've talked about this like last episode when we were talking about Indiecade. How like so many games are like, oh, side scrolling adventure or point and click adventure or oh look at the limbo graphics or whatever. But this one does it kind of an interesting combination. Like it's not just one of those three things, it's all three, but it does it kind of combines them in a unique way. So it could potentially be good, and uh, I think the point-and-click thing is actually probably the most interesting part of it all, is you're exploring the world, but then you're interacting with the environment almost as if it's a point-and-click. So it's like, it's kind of like Ace Attorney Investigations, but side-scrolling. Yeah, I'm probably going to keep this one on my radar. Just yeah. And it, uh... Seems intriguing. Not only that, but also it's kind of an interesting plot. Apparently as the game progresses, you start dealing with, like, the role of AI in, like, life in general, and, like, whether that artificial intelligence that's saving that human has rights... Like, apparently it gets oh, into, like, the rights of artificial intelligence and, like, what role robots will play and what... So, so that could potentially... It could either be really bad or it could actually be really interesting. Hopefully it's not, like, reading, like, someone's thesis. No, I'm hoping it's... Yeah, I'm hoping it actually turns out to be interesting. So, we don't know what it will do with the gamepad. We don't know any sort of... Really, any Wii U-specific things, me versus anything like that. What we do know is it is coming to Wii U and it's happening in April 20. 15. So we have a little while to go. I think that's around the time that Mighty Switch Force 9 comes out as well, actually. Mighty Switch Force 9? Or, wow. Mighty number 9. <laughs> oh, like, whoa. What happened to 3 through 8? <laughs> they skipped them. Mighty number 9. Sorry. Mighty Switch Force It's like when Mega Man jumped all the way to Mega Man 64. Yeah. Yeah, he skipped, uh, like, 52 numbers or something in the process. Mm. But, yeah, no. Mighty number 9. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, so. Oh, that was a blunder. Uh, blooper reel, which we never do. So the other game that was also a Kickstarter success story. This one I'm actually. It seems like you're more interested in the fall, but this one I'm like really curious about. And it's, this, one, this one had a, no, a really low um, pledge goal. I noticed the fall. 
No, Hyperlight Drifter. Oh, you said the name before I got the chance to properly. Hyperlight Drifter. Yeah, it's Hyperlight Drifter. <laughs> the one with the yeah. with the guy with the scarf and the. Yeah, the guy that looks. It's kind of like Journey. He looks like kind of like the guy from Journey in terms of the scarf, but super pixely because yeah. it's pixel art. But and they yeah, I did have a with the Shante people, if I'm not mistaken. What? And they collaborated with the Shante people. I believe so. Yeah, because yeah, I remember they had art, and you could get the sword or something. Yeah, but it, the game looks really cool, and yeah, it did have a pretty low goal, so the Wii U stretch goal is met pretty easily. But uh, so on the surface, I mean, you know, it's kind of another one of those oh, typical indie game, pixel art, 2D action RPG, kind of like a Link to the Past, like it's like top down like that. But then you look a little deeper, and it gets a lot more interesting. So the gameplay is actually a hybrid of like a Link to the Past and Diablo, and or like those sorts of dungeon crawlers in the sense that you're running around, doing exploring worlds, puzzles, what whatnot, fighting enemies in real time. But you have like the weapon classes and selection and the loot collection of a dungeon crawler like Diablo. So it kind of brings them together. So it's like Zelda with a lot more like different items that you can equip and different things to collect to get new items and whatnot. So almost like a Link Between Worlds in that regard. But, uh, yeah, so there's that. And then the second thing that's super interesting, at least to me, is that um, the graphics look super cool. It's not just pixel art. It's, like, watercolored pixel art, kind of. Like, there's, like, all these, like, wisp there's like wispiness to it, sort of. And everything's super animated, like, even little things in the background. They're saying that, uh, I'm gonna get, what's the, I don't remember his name, Japanese anime director, just retired. Oh, um, I was about to say Hideo Kojima, but it's um no, it's not Kojima. Yeah, no, it, 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 it's Miyazaki. Miyazaki. They were saying his Hayao Miyazaki. His art style, where everything's like super like animated and everything in the world like has movement, is partly what inspired the way they did uh, Hyper Hyperlight Drifter. Oh. So that's kind of neat. And the game looks gorgeous. If you watch the trailer, it's on the Kickstarter page, which we link to um, on the blog post for this episode. Once again, that's episode fifty-five. The genetics of Pokemon. Anyway, it, uh, <laughs> no, it, uh, it looks really good in motion. I'm really excited about it. So, we know no Wii U features. We just know it's coming out next summer. And uh, I'd say this, as well as the fall, are definitely worth keeping an eye on. Mm. Definitely. The uh, final game is the polar opposite of what we just discussed. It's not indie. It's not unique. It's not, you know, some sort of statement about artificial intelligence rights or anything this is by far the most major game you can get but i kind of want to mention it anyway and it's um a movie licensed title from activision literally two. i was gonna say literally the most yes it's the, i don't know why i was building it up like it's so exciting i don't know i am that was not intentional the amazing you guys it's like the best game okay it's like this game where there's a guy with a web and it's called spider yeah it's well, I mean, the amazing the, spider the demo for the first one wasn't that bad yeah, the, the Amazing Spider-Man wasn't that bad at all, from what I've heard. But uh, so they're making the Amazing Spider-Man two for Wii U and 3DS, and it's going to launch alongside the movie next summer, Whenever. I guess spring. And uh, the only reason I bring this up, well, I guess there's two reasons. The two reasons I bring this up is that first, look at this: a third-party game coming to Wii U in 2014. Activision still supporting the system. Activision announced a breadth of titles coming out this year. But they said nothing about the future. So the fact that they're even... Even if it's a licensed game, the fact that Activision is willing to bring another game to Wii U is a good sign for third-party support from them. Wow. Because they... You know, if they didn't have faith in the Wii U after this holiday, well, yeah, I mean, they wouldn't announce Spider-Man. Spider-Man wasn't that bad anyway, so yeah. that's good. And the second reason I bring it up is specifically because Spider-Man games aren't that bad. I don't know. I have a soft spot for the Spider-Man... Was it Spider-Man 2? 
The first game where you could swing around in open city. Spider-Man 2. Yeah. That was fun. I really liked that. And I don't know. I know other games have replicated it and other games have built on it and done things fan- in fancier ways and whatnot. But I've always really liked Spider-Man 2. So every time I see a new Spider-Man game, I kind of perk up going, Oh, is this one going to be open world? Oh, is this one going to be like Spider-Man 2? Oh, 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 oh. And usually they're not. Yeah. Well, uh, I think my favorite is still Ultimate Spider-Man. That one's pretty good too, actually. Yeah. It was just as open worldy. but just, I don't know. That's very, good, very acrobatic yeah. in that game. Yeah, that's what's nice about Spider-Man games is they're like... It's just fun to like cruise around and jump around and swing yeah, around. That one for the Wii had a lot of potential. This one Spider-Man in time. It looked interesting. And then you control like a noir. Oh, Spider-Man. yeah, yeah, yeah. You had all different Spider-Mans over different generations. Yeah. Spider-Men over different generations. It generation. looked really cool, but then it ended up not being so great. But, I don't know. You know. Yeah. Cool. Well, this one could go either way, I'd say. Uh, so what's different about this one is it's... Much like, actually, much like the other Spider-Man games, it has its own story that's separate from the movie that's, you know, common now. There's going to be enemies and plot lines that aren't in the movie. There's going to be comic book references, yah, yah, yah. But um, what's kind of interesting is it is open world again. I So there's that. And you have the ability to pick and choose your activities, which reminds me of a lot of Spider-Man 2 and Ultimate Spider-Man. And on top of all that, they have a new thing called the Hero or Menace system where based on what you pick, it will influence how the game unfolds. So if you do more good deeds, you get more unlockables, and you get more features, and you know the game progresses how in one direction. And if you don't defeat villains when you're supposed to, it has negative consequences over the course of the game. Could be interesting. Could completely fall on its fly on its face. I'm not sure which, but it's intriguing to say the least. The only part that I'm pretty sure will be bad, but I'd be happy to be proven wrong, is for the first time you get to control Peter Parker, not as Fire Man, but as photojournalist Peter Parker. To investigate villains. Mm. If these are stealth missions where you're walking around with a camera and you have to take pictures, I'm expecting them to be pretty bad. Oh, there was um, an Ultimate Spider-Man you got to control just regular Peter Parker. Oh, I thought this was a first. Never mind. But, um... What'd you do with him? You fight Venom. Oh, that's a little different. This is like... Like, he found out you were Spider-Man and you're just fighting him. Like, oh, no, no, no. This one, like, Peter you're Parker not was... Spider-Man. You're doing your own assignment for the newspaper. Yeah, and then there was another one where you're like, oh, I have to get home in time, so you have to, like... Jump behind buildings, and you still have Spider-Man's powers, but you still don't have yeah. costume, pretty much. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm. I'm. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, if you're still investigating people, he could still use his spider powers to maybe like stick the camera somewhere. Sure. Oh, like in the first movie, yeah, or, like Amazing Spider-Man or whatnot. So I guess it could be okay. Do whatever but Spider can. I don't know. He does whatever Spider can. It's true. Yeah. Look out! Spider-Man. Here comes the Spider-Man. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, it's look like, out. Here comes Spider-Man. Um. So I'm cautiously, cautiously optimistic about Amazing Spider-Man 2. I'm not expecting great things, but like I said, anytime they mention open-world Spider-Man, I go, oh, really? And keep an eye on it. So so take this as my, oh, really? And with that, I think that's actually pretty much it for game news. Of course, there is industry news in the form of sales numbers. Jason Sales Corner. Yay! That was so enthusiastic. So, no, I actually, I'm actually excited to talk about this Jason Sales Corner, honestly, because... Um, it's the first bit of good news we have. It's the see. first bit of all good news we've had in quite a while. So, the September NPD numbers came out. They're the tracking group that tracks all these things in North America. And they, uh, this NPD report's actually kind of interesting. It's for September, but it actually covers five weeks. So, it's September 1st up to October 5th, which means two days of Wind Waker HD charted. Hmm. Two whole days. But more importantly, those five extra days that they tacked on at the end also influence how the Wii U is doing, which we'll get to in a minute. But first, the good news on an industry level 
is that the industry as a whole jumped up by 29, sorry, 27% in sales. Oh, that's a lot. Yeah, it, uh, basically by a third year over year. So this September versus last September, it's up 27%. Um, software itself, that was the industry as a whole, hardware plus software. Software specifically grew by 40%. 52% if you look just at console and portable games. 40 if you bring in PC. So all of this huge jump, uh, huge jumping is due to one game and one game only, and I think you know that game. Grand Theft Auto. Indeed. Grand Theft Auto Five, which made over a billion bucks in only a couple days, uh, has accounted for more than half of all video game industry so money. single-handedly funding the video game industry. Literally, it's single-handedly saved the industry, because it's been declining for months now. Every time we do Jason Sales Corps, it's like, oh, industry's down. But for the first time in forever, it's up. And it's literally because over half of everything... All, over half of all the money spent in the game industry in the month of September, it went to GTA V. I mean, all those people that went that long without playing a video, and they're like, you know what? It's time I play a game. It's oh, time. No, it's like, a, it's like a water cooler thing. Like, it's like a... You know, it's like how Breaking Bad, like, transcended just, like, it's the people that, you know, became, like, a pop culture thing. It was, yeah. like, everywhere. GTA Even people that thing. don't play it, I've heard... Well, I mean, I work at a school, so I obviously hear a lot of parents and teachers go, like, oh, I hate this kind of auto, I have to strip clothes, and... Yeah. That's all they talk about. So... I like how the strip clothes, what they talk about. Not the yeah, prostitutes, just... not the drugs, not the murder, the strip club. I don't think they know you could do the other stuff. All they know... Is there's a strip club. Yeah, there's a strip club. Yeah. And they're like, oh, you can I... get actual lap dances. Yeah, by the way. and they're like, I... well, yeah. they're like, oh, I heard you could get lap dances in there. Like, oh, why did your son even have fully that? rendered nudity? I might add. Oh. I was watching Conan's Clueless Gamer when he did Conan O'Brien, the, oh, yeah, the great I... Conan O'Brien, when he did. Um... I too watched. Yeah, that. when he did the Grand Theft Auto one, they had to censor out the nudity because there was like actual nudity. But anyway, so GTA saved the industry basically, and I mean to say it did well, I. It's pretty much, you know, it's probably the biggest understatement of the year. It did super, super well. It's the best-selling game in September ever in MPD history. Like, that's how well it did. So, naturally, it was number one on the charts this month. And uh, there are no Nintendo-exclusive games on the charts, but there was Disney Infinity, which is on Nintendo platforms. That came in seventh on the chart, which, you know, isn't bad. Um, this actually helped the seri- the, fran- the game franchise, I don't know, uh, push... Past the 1 million unit mark. So it came out in August and just now, about six weeks later, it's past a million units. When it first came out, the majority of the sales of Disney Infinity were on Nintendo platforms. Actually, Wii, out, the Wii version outsold the Wii U version pretty significantly. Well, I mean, the I, install base It makes sense because the install base, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Because you're looking at like 3 point something million versus 80, 90 million, 99 yeah. million. But uh, yeah, I, I assume that trend would continue. I don't know if PS. 3 or 360 like snuck in there with it, their versions but either way I'm guessing that sales of Disney Infinity are going to pick up much quicker I mean a million is certainly nothing to scoff at but it did take them six weeks to hit that which for Disney that's I don't know that seems like they would have hit that sooner doesn't it especially the amount of marketing they put behind it well, like Skylanders blew up like instantly but then I, again, I, I still feel like I don't know like it's not as as it should be. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, that's what I'm I, saying. Like, it took six weeks. That doesn't make sense for I Disney. Know, yeah. So yeah. I'm guessing during the I mean, holidays, Skylanders is still going. Yeah, Skylanders Swap Force just came out, and that's already like there's like exclusive Skylander toys like at every retailer. It's nuts. But uh, I imagine Disney Infinity will pick up pretty. We'll get some pretty brisk uh, sales in the holidays. Like yeah. that seems like the right time to release it. Like they should released it when uh, Skylanders oh, yeah. came out, like this like, week. Definitely. Like- Really good stocking stuff or whatever. Yeah, and I mean it is pretty fun. We played it at Comic Con. Like it's nothing 
for us specifically, but I could see kids liking it for sure. But uh, so yeah, we'll we'll see how that goes, and you know, of course, in future JC Sales Corners, we'll report it since it is, you know, eventually gonna be quite the heavy hitter on Nintendo platforms. I think so. It's probably worth keeping tabs on. Uh, then of course, there's Nintendo itself, who uh, also had good news this month, uh, especially for Wii U. Uh, the console saw a 200% increase in sales compared to last month, which means that the price drop is definitely helping since sales have now tripled. Of course, More. tripled and 200% and all that is relative. Yeah, it tripled. Yes, yeah, 200%. Those are huge numbers. Great. But they're not huge actual numbers. They're not huge unit numbers. They're huge percentage numbers. So, as always, we don't have official numbers because Nintendo never likes giving official numbers anymore because they're not that great. But we got leaked numbers, which are essentially official. They come from a reliable source. And over at NeoGAF, actually. And uh, we now know that in August, as we kind of danced around when we did the last Chasing Sales Court, we sold 31,000 units. So tripling that, 200% increase, means that it sold about 93,000 units in September. Which is definitely much better. It's not like gangbusters or anything, but it's certainly... The yeah, best selling amount. Yeah, we're not declining. It's the biggest. I like how it's we, as if we're Nintendo. We're not declining. Hey, man, like it's like a sports team. Yeah, exactly. Literally, what we've talked about before, we are sports analysts for a sport called the video game industry. God, that's the nerdiest thing I've ever said. Anyway, um, yeah, so it's actually it's the best selling month that the Wii U's had since its launch period ended. It's, you know, it's finally turning around. And a lot of those sales can be attributed to two things. The price drop, where, you know, the $50 price drop that happened on September 20th, and the Zelda bundle that was released alongside it, also on September 20th. And I had a feeling these two things were going to make a difference, because I, I was at Best Buy on the 20th getting my iPhone, and I was getting it from the online pickup section, you know, oh. like that back wall, that side wall where they load up all the things people order online, you just come in and grab it. There were seven Wii U Zelda bundles in the online pickup section. People were concerned that the bundle would sell out and order it online, and there are seven of these people that did it. Which, you know, that doesn't sound like that's not a huge number, and it's totally anecdotal, of course, but when you go from seeing Wii U's never being sold to seeing seven claimed Wii U's just waiting for their owners to show up, you kind of go, okay, something's up. Something's turning around. Nintendo's on the right track. Like, that was the moment where I'm like, alright, this might be working. This just might be working. And now we have the numbers to prove that, yes, it's working. So hopefully, see a lot of Wii U's though whenever I go to Best Buy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm just, but it's just interesting that there are seven people that are like, oh, now I'm buying one, and they went through the effort of actually ordering it online to ensure that it didn't sell out. Mm -hmm. So they, th they were under the impression that there's enough demand, either because they don't know what's going on with the numbers or because their friends have been talking about it. Like, there, there's definitely something different in seeing those. And, I mean, Nintendo's point out in their PR that, you know, the, uh, the boost, the 200% boost, the price drop... There's only 15 days in this report period for MPD that the price drop was in effect. And, you know, the fact that they point that out so clearly suggests that the sales are still briskly, you know, maybe not increasing at quite the same rate, but they're still going better than they were even beyond the report period, or else they wouldn't leave that, like, tantalizing little, yep, and it's only been 15 days worth of sales, so just you wait, sort of sentence. Oh. But, uh, yeah, so there's, um... Sorry, I totally lost my train of thought. Yeah, so hopefully this is a continuing trend, I was going to say. Um, hopefully this actually continues at a... I don't think we're going to see 200% increases month over month, although that'd be awesome, because that means in a couple months we'd be hitting a million units. But I think we're definitely going to see it go into the 100,000 range, opposed uh -huh. to the double digits. It'll hit triple digits. So... Hopefully, with I, only if, dream. Yeah, and I... 
<laughs> I mean, it better because it's right now, even though it is picking up a little, it's still trending about a million units behind where GameCube was at, at this point in its life. Which, I mean, to the Wii's credit, GameCube was $100 cheaper at this point. But still, a million is a huge difference. And GameCube, as we know, wasn't the most successful system ever. So, um, yeah, this may finally be... This may finally be the Wii's moment to shine. Nintendo wasn't joking when they said they have all their, you know, all their ducks in a row. It's starting to work. So we'll see. And to go with, of course, to go with the hardware sales in e-games, and that's the next step for the ducks in a row, is getting the games out. And they're already starting. We have Wind Waker HD, and that game in particular actually is doing pretty decently for itself. Once again, no official numbers through leaks, but we know that the Wind Waker HD managed to move about 123,000 copies. Just the game, that, right? No. That's what is unclear. Oh. They are counting the bundled version. The number I got is counting the bundled version and the standalone software version. So the two days of the standalone software plus the two weeks of the bundle. Not including eShop. And I bet you that number is a lot higher if you add an eShop because it was out for two weeks on the eShop. And there's so many people that are just like, I just want to play it already and caved and bought the digital version for, instead of waiting. Oh. So yeah. I bet you the number is at least 150, 160,000. And that's probably being conservative on my part. But yeah, so 123000 for Wind Waker, which, um, you know, that's pretty good. I mean, it's it's certainly better than Pikmin 3's debut, which it was out for a longer period in its report period. Yeah. And it mean, sold 113000 But, but Zelda's much Pikmin. bigger. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's not just here in the States that Zelda's doing pretty well. And obviously I think it's going to... We're going to get a better sense of how well it's doing with next month's MPD because two days of reporting versus a whole other 30, 30 days... I think we'll see it. It could potentially chart, I think. But um, over in the UK, Zelda's actually doing pretty well, too. When the game launched, it led to a 685% jump in Wii U console sales. I'll just repeat that number, because it's huge. 685%. That's a, that's a, that's a big number. So went Granted, it went from to 1 to... 7? Exactly. But, yeah, it went from selling 1 to, like, 70. But, uh, or whatever that math would come out to be. But no, I mean, it wasn't, yeah, they were, UK sales for Wii U were like flatlining, even worse than here in the States. So it's not like amazing in terms of raw numbers, but in terms of percentage, step in the right direction once again. So, so Wind Waker is a success story, I'd argue. Of course, that's not the case for every game on the Wii U. In fact, um, Wonderful 101 did... Well, actually, it did pretty much what we thought it would do, now I think about it. it uh, basically, we predicted a while ago that it's going to be a very niche title. It's only going to sell to you know a small chunk of the Wii U user base. Maybe it will expand to a bigger audience, but probably not. And you know, even when we gave our impressions, we said, if that's your sort of game, if you like this sort of crazy action game, it's perfect for you. Otherwise, maybe not so much. And it seems like that's pretty much how the general, the masses have chosen to interpret the game. So in Japan, it pretty much bombed. In Europe, it pretty much bombed. Ouch. And in the U.S., yeah, I know. And in the U.S., it kind of sort of bombed. It pretty much bombed. So we once again, for the third time now, don't have official numbers, but here's the leaks. It sold just shy of twenty thousand units in the three weeks is on the MP. You know that it was out in this MPD cycle. Uh, specific, like so, just shy of twenty thousand. I would peg it at probably about nineteen thousand. That's my guess, not an actual estimate. Um. Now, this is strictly retail, so it's possible the eShop version did okay, but I don't think it's going to boost it beyond maybe 25,000, 30,000 at most. So it's definitely not a hit. But on the flip side, uh, it's not quite as bad as it seems. I mean, on one hand, it's definitely disappointing that a game this unique 
and this well polished kind of went you know unnoticed by so many people because it deserves better sales i'd say right like it was it is a fun game if it's your sort of game yeah, it has I mean, great personality and, and I, I mean i would say like it's definitely one of those games that if you've never even played that genre just go check it out and jump in i mean yeah and now yeah and not only that but like this is cover is cool it is and not only that that giant orange fist and not only that but red, red. Not only that, but uh, it also hurts the whole... Nintendo needs to make new properties, new IPs argument. Because here's Nintendo publishing a new IP, and it bombs. So what's, So when people write, Nintendo, why don't you make enough... You know, why so much Mario? Why so much Zelda? Make something new. They'll just point to this and go, that's why. No one bought it. You guys told us to make it, and look what happened. But, I mean, what I was starting to say before I got to that point, though, is there's a silver lining. It didn't do as bad as it could do. Like, it could have sold less. I mean, for comparison, take Rayman Legends, another high-profile Wii U title that came out, this, you know, last month. Uh, the game didn't do so great. It managed to move, once again, leaked numbers, about 70,000 units across all platforms, which, uh, that was over the course of the month. It came out at the beginning of the month, so that's a full 30 days. And it, uh, roughly half of those sales, 55%, were on Wii U. So Wii U was the best-selling version, as it should be, considering it was originally a Wii U game. And we, you know, and it best fits the Wii U with the gamepad and whatnot. But it also means that the other 45% was split between PS3 and 360's versions. And here's where the silver lining is for Wonderful 101. Neither of those games, neither of those versions, the non-Wii U versions, managed to sell more than Wonderful 101. So sure, Wonderful 101 bomb, but don't worry. You're in good company. You have Rayman right under you. <laughs> so, so I mean, uh, I think, honestly, I think what this says is kind of what we were saying yeah, about Mario. A lot of people are just not interested. I think it, I don't know, because everyone was super interested in February, and then they lost interest, because it started the coming delays. out around, it, I think it's a mix of the delay and what we were saying about Watch Dogs and Mario Party, about like releasing too many things close to Nintendo's like big AAA titles. You can't release Rayman smack in the middle of Pikmin and Wonderful 101, okay, that may not count. It's just smack in the middle of Pikmin and Wind Waker and expect it to sell as well as when you had the entire month to yourself back in February when all the new Wii U owners were desperately wanting a game and were super vocal and bummed when it was delayed only to then not buy it in September because they were, had an onslaught of other games. I'm a perfect example of that. Yeah. I was gonna buy it in February. I then played the Challenges app. I was like, this is really fun. I then kept playing the Challenges app. I was like, well, that's my Rayman fix. And then when the September rolled around, I was like, well, I got my Rayman fix already, so I'm good. It is really frustrating. Yeah, it's you... Ubisoft brought this on themselves, in my opinion. And there's no way they turned a profit on those ports. So the whole reason they delayed the game to make the PS3 and 360 versions backfired because it sold way lower. And there's, like I said, there's probably no way they made money off those. So they ended up just hurting the entire game. Good news is, because it sold so poorly, you could probably find it cheap on Black Friday. A GameStop mm. ad was leaked, and it's going to be 25 bucks, I believe. So, there you go. But, uh... Yeah, it, and speaking of Ubisoft, actually, as you can guess, they had very high hopes for Rayman Legends, and they now claim that it underperformed. Shock. And they also, uh, confirmed that Splinter Cell Blacklist underperformed, which we talked about in the last Jason Sales Corner two episodes ago, where it debuted with only 300,000 copies sold in late August... And about 10,000 of those, supposedly, were for Wii U, which is definitely not turning a profit. Just as bad as the PS3 and 360 versions of Rayman, actually. But, uh, so you may be thinking, going back to like, well, Silver Lining for Wonderful 101 is it didn't do as well as third-party games. And you may be thinking, okay, fine, but Wonderful 101 is a Nintendo-published game. 
Rayman's third party, do an apples to apples comparison a bit more. Like Nintendo's own games don't do that badly, right? Like One for One One must be a horrible bomb, right? Well, sort of. If you look at the 3DS, uh, Brain Age Concentration Training, been out since February. That's what uh, seven months, seven months, eight months. We're in October. Eight months, eight months ago it came out, right? Brain Age was one of the biggest games on the DS. Arguably. It brought in touch generations. It ushered in the casual blue ocean strategy. It was huge. They released a sequel. They, you know, they had... It was a big deal, Brain Age. It lasted me 40 days. Y'all, at least you're one of the people that bought it. Because it turns out that since it came out in October, over those eight months, Brain Age has sold fewer physical copies than 104 101 Manchester in three weeks. Oh, wow. Less than 20,000 copies since it first launched eight months ago. Brain Age. The powerhouse casual game franchise Brain Age is yeah, now dead in the water. People either don't care anymore or they found another way to it show, yeah. fix. I think it's more like the fad ended. The casual gaming fad ended. But it's sort of like how motion control is dying off slowly. But the point the point I was trying to make is Nintendo's had bigger bombs. And obviously that, that Brain Age number doesn't include uh, eShop because this is straight off MPD. Nintendo clearly isn't bragging about how bad Brain Age is doing. But just goes to show that Wonderful 101 isn't doing quite as bad as you may think. It's definitely not a winner, but it's definitely not Nintendo's biggest loser. So hopefully that means they maybe continue to work with Platinum Games. I mean, it's still Bayonetta 2, so we'll see. But yep, after I beat Bayonetta 1, which I finally tracked down. Oh, you have a copy? Yep. I didn't know that. Right there. Oh, yeah, you pointed that out earlier, but I didn't put two and two together Mm-mm. until just now. Um, 12 books. That's a pretty good deal. Used? Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. But so so the Brain Age comment, going back to this, actually I guess is a good segue into the three D S, which uh on the hardware side it's once again the number one selling system of the month. Um this is I think it's been number one since May or June, so it's a pretty good streak it's on. Dang. Uh right under it, it used to be Xbox three sixty as the top console, but for the first time in thirty two months, which is insane, PS three outsold three sixty. Driven in large part by a PS3 GTA 5 bundle. I feel like, I don't know. I mean, I obviously don't know what, life, what their lifetimes are looking like or like whether what the buzz around the PS3 and the Xbox are, but it just, I feel like the PS3 is still... The PS3 has more buzz right now. Xbox yeah, is it, it, it still looks more appealing than uh, Xbox just, now. I feel like if you're going to get an Xbox, you might as well wait till Xbox One or something. Yeah. I think PS3, I, I think just the tides turn in terms of which systems you'd more favorably. Like, Microsoft's been making so many PR blunders, everyone's kind of like, eh, towards it. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, but back to, the only reason I bring that up is because Xbox, which is now third of the, third on the chart, managed to sell about 169,000 units, which means 3DS clearly sold more than that, so probably 200,000 or so, if I had to guess. Um, so yeah, good month for the 3DS. Uh, it's also the same month that the 3DS has hit a sales milestone in Japan, where for... Uh, around the launch of Monster Hunter 4 a few weeks ago, it managed to be it managed to outsell the Wii, the lifetime sales of the Wii. Interestingly, mm. in Japan, the Wii only moved about 12 point million units. Here in the states, it's in like the 50, 50 million mark or something like that. But in Japan, it's 12.7 million. And then the 3DS just passed that when Monster Hunter 4 came out, uh, and is probably well beyond that now that Pokemon's out. Monster Hunter 4 actually is doing quite well in Japan as well. And since it came out about a month ago, they've managed to ship 3 million copies of the game. Oh, you can probably send it here. So, yeah, there's rumors it might eventually come west. Well, I, I don't see why it wouldn't. I mean, Capcom said they considered Monster Hunter 3 Ultimate a success, so... 
So yeah, it's just a matter of time. And yeah. there's been indications over in Europe, like teases that it's gonna be a localization will be announced. So if it's coming to Europe, it's coming to America. Yeah, gotta play those Super Mario cats. Yes, yes, and dressed as Link. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so 3DS hardware is doing pretty well. Software side, Nintendo did not release very many numbers, except a very, very big one, and that is that Pokemon X and Y. This kid, this was after the NPD period ended, but Nintendo was obviously super excited to share this number and put it out right away. Uh, in the two-day weekend of Pokemon launch, Pokemon X and Y's release, so Saturday the 12th and Sunday the 13th. Did I get those dates right? Yes, I did. Uh, they managed to move 4 million copies of the game worldwide. 4 million Pokemon in 48 hours. Mm. Not bad at all. It's really good. I guess after it's the fastest Grand Theft Auto's numbers... Well, Grand Theft Auto making a billion is a weird anomaly. No, yeah, 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 I know, but... I mean, this is the best debut of any poke of any, sorry, any 3DS game ever. Like, if you combine Pokemon X and Y into one 4 million unit... It's the best debut, That's, yeah. Now you could argue. I still consider them one game. Yeah, me too. But and so is Nintendo for sales purposes. But you could argue, well, of course it's the best-selling 3DS game ever. All the 3DS games have staggered releases in different regions. Not so fast, Nintendo. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> not so fast, listener. Objection. Cool your jets. No, Nintendo. Uh, yeah, objection. Uh, Nintendo actually tallied up the debut numbers for each region and combined them into like a, a total number worldwide. So we're looking at now worldwide across the board, and Pokemon's still number one of all mm-hmm. 3DS games. It also, um, they couldn't really compare it worldwide with the other Pokemon. This is what I don't understand. So they tied up those numbers to get the best debut, but they didn't bother tying up all the different Pokemon releases across different systems to see if it was the best-selling Pokemon game ever. But what, You know, best-selling launch. But what they did confirm is that it, outsold the last Pokemon release here in the U.S. alone, uh, Black and White 2, saw Pokemon X and Y saw 70% greater sales than Black and White 2. Mm-hmm. Which is pretty good, but I don't know if Black and White 2 is something you want to compare to. Like, did it do as well as Black and White 1? I don't think so. I know Black and White I feel like that number is massaged. Diamond and Pearl, yeah. Uh, initially, yeah, but Diamond and Pearl is, the best, is currently the best-selling Pokemon game of all oh, time. Wow. Yep. Diamond and Pearl has managed to move 17.63 million yeah. copies. So, at least so. That game was awesome. But either... It basically means Pokemon X and Y has a lot cut out. You know, it has to prove itself pretty hard if it wants to top that sales number. Yeah. But yeah, I find it interesting, like, a bit of Nintendo PR spin that they chose to compare it to Black and White 2 opposed to whatever the best debut happened to be. Because I don't think it was Black and White 2. I could be wrong, but... Either way, great news for Pokemon, and I bet it will get close to that sales total of Diamond Pearl, because honestly, it's a really good game, and that, I think, is probably the perfect transition into our impressions of Pokemon X and Y. So, uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for sticking with us, folks. As we said at the top of the show, we're not just sharing, you know, normal impressions of the game like we do with most games. Uh, we're also going to be looking at, like, what makes Pokemon such Pokemon. a strong franchise. Yeah, what makes Pokemon Pokemon? Like, why is it so much more successful than other RPGs? What is it about the game that really, like, makes it this, like, phenomenon that has launch events worldwide in, like, Paris and New York and all these, you know, huge things and is resulting in Wolfram Alpha, the database engine that powers Siri on your iPhone, adding Pokemon. You can now Siri Pokemon, and it's amazing, by the way. It's so cool. It's so pointless, but it's so cool. It's a Pokedex. Your phone's a Pokedex. Anyway, my point being, what is it about Pokemon that drives all this? And we think X and Y, you know, yes, they're different on some level, 
But at the end of the day, they still have that core Pokemon DNA, that genetic code. Well, so we're gonna be Pokemon without exactly. It. So we're looking at what is the genetics of Pokemon. Episode title, name drop, and it's uh, lots of yeah, and seeing like what you know what makes them so solid. So I think there's like three main categories, right? That we kind of like when we were discussing this beforehand, kind of can uh, break it into. It's kind of like a... They all blend, but yeah. you can kind of break them into three. Kind of like parts. Animal Crossing in a way, like. There's so many things you could do, and you play it pretty much however you want. Yeah. Like, there's really no wrong answer. Exactly. So, the way I play it is more of the exploration angle, and the way you play it, I'd say, is more battle-oriented. Yeah. Yeah, and then there's also the whole multiplayer element, because some people are super into, oh, I'm only battling online. Whoops. I'm only battling, my water ball just went flying. Uh, I'm only battling online, or I only want to trail. Like, I just want to do all these crazy yeah, trades. Yeah, some people just want to battle their friends, but I mean, I like competitive battling or... Yeah, so there's, like, all these different elements of the game that really, like, blend together to make it what it is. And I think, for me, personally, it's the exploration. But, like, the whole just experiencing the world of Pokemon and catching them all and, like, just going from town to town. But it's not like you wanted to say something before I jumped into exploration. And I think I accidentally cut you off. I don't remember. You, well, I'll jump into exploration. Yeah. And uh, if you think of it, let me know. But, yeah, so with Pokemon X and Y, well, with Pokemon in general, the thing that's great about Pokemon Me is it really does kind of feel like its own little world. Like, I mean, every game has, like, oh, you're in an in-game world. But something about Pokemon, just, like, I guess because you're interacting with all these different creatures that all, like, kind of fit their setting, it just, like, meshed really well, in my opinion. But the 2D kind of was, like, a separator between reality and this Pokemon world. Like, something about everything being sprites all the time and everything being really, like, simple graphics. Even on the DS version where they had some of the pseudo-3D, like, isometric camera movements and that sort of thing, it still felt like, yeah, this is a video game. Just a video game. Yeah, it's a cool little world in a video game, but it's just a video game. But I don't know, with X and Y, I think they finally made, like, the connection where everything just feels alive, kind of, like every Pokemon animates. Uh, all sorts of stuff. Like, it just feels like a living, breathing world more so than ever before. Like, it feels less... I guess because it's not sprite-based anymore. That might be it. But, um... Yeah, yeah so because that, like... I mean, every Pokemon... Every single Pokemon has full-fledged animations of their own. Like... Just give an example. Uh, I did the special, the special gift of Torchic, which you can download between now and I think the end of the year. January Tor- seventeen, I think. Yeah, there Something you go. Like Torchic, when you do certain attacks, will run in a little circle when he she is done. Or there's a, there's a new Pokemon called Zigzagoon. Is it new? No, it's an old oh, Pokemon. It's not new. It's not new. It's it's not new. Yeah, it's not new. I caught that. I caught that. But there's Zigzagoon who has a new animation. There we go. Where whenever he tackles, he literally, or whenever he moves, he zigzags. He doesn't move straight. Like, this attention detail, every Pokemon has their own little... I mean, those animations, I mean, I've noticed most of them are reused from from all the Pokemon Stadium games. Right, but the thing with Stadium was it was always just, like, to me, like, oh, Battle Simulator or something. Yeah. Like, this is, like, this is taking the... Oops, this, this, I'm whack. I'm so excited right now, I'm, like, knocking everything over on the table. I just, like, hit the table and there goes my water. No, this is, like, I feel, like, to me, the fact that they took the 3D animations from Stadium and kind of spruced them up a little and put them in X and Y and did that nice cell shading on top of them. Just combined with, like, the overall 3D aesthetic of the world just makes it finally feel like I'm playing... I'm in a world of Pokemon, opposed to just experiencing some digital little sprite-based thing. Like, it's just the... I don't know. The attention to detail I thought was really great. And it gives them a lot of personality, too. Like, especially when, like, uh, Chespin's second... uh, His first evolution, uh, Quilladin, has this ridiculously stupid grin. 
And every come, whenever he pops out his Pokeball, he just kind of plops down. His arms like kind of yeah, flop, and he just so grins at you. <laughs> just like this is amazing. Like staring into like, your soul. Yeah, pretty much. Or like, uh, you know who looks really creepy in my opinion? Hmm. Um, throw. His, who? His name is just throw. He looks um. He's like the the Bert and Ernie of the. You know? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. He he's just like. He is a little strange. He's just chubby. He just there. He doesn't even move. He just. It's, yep. Probably because you can see his pupils in their entirety, and usually when you can see a character's pupils in their entirety, it looks like they're like deadpan staring at you, yeah. and it's creepy. Yeah, but see, even stuff like that, like also, just kind of humanoid too. So he's yeah, like, yeah. But like things like that, like yeah, okay. If he was a sprite, like in the past Pokemon games, he'd be like, okay, that's weird. He doesn't have pupils. But when he's in three D and he's animating, there's just some extra level of liveliness, or in this case, creepiness. You know what I mean? No, yeah, no. Like it, it just it, really it, brings it, out the character. It is really cool having that, like. In a core Pokemon game. Yeah. Outside of the stadium games. But I mean... Yeah, it's nothing like... I mean, it's just never been presented in a world way. In like a worldly way like this. It's always been like, you are now battling in 3D. Congratulations, this is your 3D battle game. You are now playing a Pokemon game. It's 2D. Everyone sprites. There you go. Like, this is the first time they bridged it to create like a whole Pokemon world that actually feels like a world of its own. Yeah. And the 3D helps in battles. I mean, on the one hand, it drags it down. The frame rate drops like no other when you're yeah, in 3D I've, battle. I've gone to just not using the 3D. Whatever. Yeah, it, but it's, it's, I don't know. I, I guess yeah, the dragging it down. I, I I'd rather have the frame rate as constant as possible. So it just yeah, it just I, don't, I, I guess it yeah it finally bugged me enough to actually keep it down. Usually, like Dead or Alive, it's one of the first games super like super laggy. It, yeah, like it cut the frame rate in half. But I was okay with it because the 3D was so pretty well, awesome. The, and the problem with that, or the the thing with that, is it went from 60 frames to 30 frames, both of which are perfectly normal, acceptable yeah, and, and, and this in one video just, game like, frame rates. Yeah, and this one just fluctuates. It's like it you'll be usually yeah. when the camera zooms in on the Pokemon. But. Yeah, so when the camera zooms in or does the uh, it, it mainly happens not during the battle animations, but when you're picking your move, the camera does like swooping angles, which also helped bring it to life a little because you see your Pokemon from different angles and whatnot. But, uh, so it does, like, a swooping, like, crane shot almost from the side, and then yeah. it just stutters so bad. It drops to probably, like, 15 or 10 frames per second. Like, now I totally understand why only Bowser in 3D. When we first found out about that a few podcasts ago, we were both like, what? But now it's like, oh, man, if the whole game was like that, it yeah, wouldn't be But playable. not even all battles in, are in 3D. Double battles aren't in 3D. Yeah. But, I mean, I guess there's more Pokemon, but, which means yeah. the triple battles obviously aren't going to be in 3D. And need to roll the horde battles with, like, a million sides. Oh, yeah, yeah, those in 3D. But, but yeah, I haven't encountered a few of them. Yeah, but... Uh, oh, yeah, which means, yeah, I actually did end up getting the game, even though I kept saying I wasn't, yeah, and I wasn't, that's something and I wasn't, and I wasn't, and I wasn't, and I still got it. Because it's different enough. In a way. It presents itself as different enough. I don't know. Let me rephrase. Yeah, it presents uh, itself as different enough. On the surface, it certainly feels... It certainly looks different. I mean... I don't no? know. I, I guess I still can't... Well, why'd you buy it? <laughs> um, Was it for the battles? Yes, for the battles. And also... Um, I don't know. I, I've been feeling really nostalgic about my old teams and my old Pokemon. I'm like, oh, I really want to just keep them alive. And uh, so you got to transfer them in? Yes, I really want to just transfer all my old teams and... Mm-hmm. Kind of, like I mentioned before that I spent a lot of, the bulk of my, instead of playing black and white, I spent all that time playing battle simulators. From right, Smart right, Home. online, yeah. So I actually want to make those teams in an actual Pokemon game. And have them for, yeah, real, and for just, realsies. Yeah, and I have, I mean, even though I do like playing competitively, I like making a lot of teams for fun. Like, I want to make my Ninja Turtle team that was actually really fun and fun to use and right in, in this game, and... Just to be clear, they're not actual Ninja Turtles. It's just the theme of the team. Because I'm sure someone out there is going, there's no Michelangelo in Pokemon or something like that. Yeah, because I mean, with the sea turtle from Black and White, they finally have four turtles. I've been using a golem as my Raphael for the longest. (laughs) 
Yeah. By the way, that's the weirdest team theme. I'm just saying. Well, I mean, I know, I know. Yeah, it's me. But uh, I mean, yeah. I have so many. I have like a Transformers team. It doesn't make sense, but yeah. Yeah, yeah no, that one makes no sense. But, well, um, but it's, anyways, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess also because I since I played, Pokemon Stadium so no not Stadium, um, Battle Revolution mm-hmm. so much, like I don't know. I guess I the the 3D environment are just doesn't really uh, yeah I guess cause for me the, like I never I, I can't appreciate it to its fullest up, uh, on outside of the battle and even when I'm in battle like it kinda I really love the models I love what they did with the new art style with them the I cell shading looks or the semi cell shading looks great yeah like I mean I thought I was gonna miss the lighting that they had in Pokemon Stadium yeah like, oh, they don't so really cool, notice but it. I don't know it, it just, it's just different it looks very cartoony yeah and, and it, it helps that like the backgrounds of each battle like change to fit the environment it's happening in yeah like, it, even, it feels very Pokemon. Like, I remember. It feels Pokemon. Yeah. yeah like someone, um, one of the people in charge said that they weren't gonna make it in 3D unless they found the right style to make it, and that's why they voice kept the sprites. Yep. And it, then they found it. Yeah. So and I mean, it works I mean, great. Yeah. So that's. that's well, but yeah, I mean, and and the thing is, like, that's I think the the fact that even like the background. I mean, they've had the different backgrounds even in the sprite ones. But, yeah, but, but not to this like level. Colors, yeah, yeah. Now it's great, and I mean, one of the things is that I find interesting is, um, unlike the battle, you know, Battle Revolution Day and whatnot. It just, because, I guess, because they have those backgrounds that match and everything, it just feels more, like, it just fits. Yeah. I feel like I'm saying kind of the same point, The the only other thing, I guess, that, like, kind of, even though the battles are in 3D, it still feels, like, not quite there yet. Because, I mean, going back to the fact that I played Revolution a whole ton of it. Like, I mean, when the Pokemon pop out, they're still, like, on their own little tiny platform. There's no point-to-point contact at all. Really? Yeah. yeah. Like in the other one, I mean, in the other po- in stadium, there wasn't really any point-to-point contact that much either. Um, yeah. But I mean, there were some moves like um, reversal, like the um, what's his face, um, Hitmonlee would actually run across the whole side and actually like you you could see him like make contact with the other Pokemon. Yeah, and this one, they're within their little I mean, circles. Yeah, I mean, with the exception of like projectile moves. Actually. Yeah. And the only other thing that I guess I kind of missed from stadium was um, I keep calling it stadium. Coliseum. Um. Coliseum or Battle Revolution was um, whenever the camera is always moving even while you're attacking in this game the camera always stays exactly it only moves when you're picking moves yeah so I mean so when you're attacking it stays in that exact camera mm-hmm. position that it's always been for every Pokemon game yeah you I know mean, now that you point these out I didn't even notice these things I mean, so it's, taken... a, it's a minor nitpick but yeah. I mean I guess like I kind of I'm like oh it's in 3D now why not move the camera the whole I was time? just so taken away by the battles like just everything just... in 3D that I didn't even notice these things I mean, one... now that you mentioned them like literally the, one of the first things I don't I mean this is just me but like one of the first things I noticed like when my Froki when I got it I like, started to attack with Bubble Beam I'm like oh I want to see the Bubble Beam from the front but obviously I'm never going to get that I'm always going to see it from, yeah. from the back oh by the way hashtag Team Chespin okay continue you know people are hashtagging which which starter they're on. So I'm Team Chespin. Oh. It's like the Team Coco or the Team Jacob, you know, Twilight. Conan or Twilight. No, 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 yeah, no, there are shirts. You can get a Hot Topic that are like, hashtag Team Chespin with a picture of Chespin. Hashtag Team Froki with a picture of Froki. Hashtag Team whatever that Firefox's thing name is with a picture of the Firefox thing. Oh, Arceus. And I love that. That's not his name. Arceus? I, I was saying, oh God, but because we're talking about Pokemon, Arceus is the god Pokemon. Oh, God. Exactly. Ugh. That's the worst But No. No, no, no. <laughs> anyway, let's get back to Pokemon itself. Um, I was going to say, one thing I found kind of interesting about this... Well, so the, I've been talking a lot about this this world that you can explore. And one, one obvious main aspect of the exploration is the Pokemon themselves, right? 
So in previous Pokemon games, and one of the things that's always been part of like the core Pokemon DNA is they always introduce new Pokemon. But they finally changed that a little, which I'm perfectly fine with. There's so there's 718 Pokemon now, or some ridiculous number like that, with the new XY guys on board. So they only introduced maybe 80, 70, seven, 70 new Pokemon. And you know, honestly, I'm having so much fun just reckon, like seeing old, old familiar faces and being like, oh hey, it's not like Pidgey. Like I've had enough Pidgey and Zubat. I do not want to see a single Zubat. But like seeing even like I don't know, like the the uh, Dun Dunspar, yeah, like Dunspar. It is. Like, it is interesting. Or like Ladybot. I don't know why I got really excited when I saw Ladybot for the first time. I think because <laughs> when I was a kid, I had a Ladybot. Like, cause Ladybot's from Gold and Silver, right? Yeah. And when I was a kid, I had like one of those. It was like a spinner, but it was Ladybot's head. You got it from like Burger King or something. Like it's oh, a Ladybot, but it was like a top. Oh, just the head. Well, it was the whole Ladybot. Oh, sorry. Right. I mean, Lab- yeah, but it was like, and you spun, it, and it's like. I still have it somewhere. So it's just like, hey, I have a spinner of you. Like, it was just cool to, like, reconnect with these old Pokemon. I mean, it, it is kind of nice to say, wondering, like, oh, who's going to pop up next? Like, oh, it's, yeah, it's, it's like, um, Smeargle. I did not see that coming. Yeah, and, it, and I mean, that already happened to me. Like, uh, early in the game, you go into a forest, like, really early on. And in the forest, not only is there a Pikachu, which, by the way, I spent an hour looking for that Pikachu one night. Never saw him. I love that the voice goes went back, Pikachu. That yeah, I know. That, that's a nice touch. Went back to the forest the next day during daytime hours first pokemon in the wild i see is pikachu i felt like i wasted the last hour like the previous day's hour but anyway pikachu's there they have the the uh the pan monkeys i don't know what to call them the three monkeys yes they're they're all pan yeah yeah pan pan exactly so those guys are all there pretty early on like it's just cool to see all these different pokemon just thrown in at the beginning and also because they're playing around with all the pokemon they have they seem to be getting more experimental with the types you get access to a lot more types of Pokemon really early in the game. Yeah, usually you don't get access you don't to get fire types so early. Or, like, yeah, and water and grass that early isn't that common either, I feel like. Well, grass maybe, because no, no, it's like bug. Grass, yeah, but, but fire is usually the one that there's always like very few of. Yeah, and then elect- electric, like within, literally by Route 3, I had a Pikachu. Like, that's crazy. So, like, just that... Well, I mean, I guess it's different for game, but I know, yeah, some were... Yeah. I mean, Diamond had that Shinx, the little blue line. Oh, right, right, right. From, right. Break, from the get-go. Yeah. But I guess my I guess my main point with that was like I don't care that there's only seventy Pokemon. I'm glad they're reusing all Pokemon because it's like gonna be creative in how they present these Pokemon to you and get, you know, and have that element of surprise like you said. Which, you know, when it comes to exploring a Pokemon world, you don't want it to be by the book. You don't want to go, okay, this is the Zubat of this one, and that's the Rattata of this one, and that's the you know, like that's what happened with Black and White. Is every single Pokemon? Was literally just subbing out the Pokemon you normally see. That's not Pidgey. Yeah, actually, That's a something else that looks like Pidgey. But this one, it's like, you never know. And now that you brought that up, since they have Pidgey in there and Starly and all those other ones. Yeah. By the time I saw Fletchling, I didn't even think of it as the Pidgey of this game. I just thought of it as another bird. Yeah, it, it's more of a Robin that. anyway, but yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's funny because... Uh, well, I mean, well, that's I mean, it's just... Oh, yeah. It just yeah. felt like its own thing. It was. It didn't feel like it was replacing anything. Yeah. Because the Pidgey was there. Yeah. So. I did find it really funny, though, that the first wild Pokemon I came across was a Pidgey. Okay. I was just like, really? I think that was mine, too. I think it's on purpose. Yeah. I think they give you a Pidgey as a throwback. But it's just like, that's funny. But I was much happier to see, uh, you know, like, uh, not a Rattata. <laughs> I saw tons of interesting Pokemon, but not a Rattata. Um... But, I mean, even beyond the Pokemon themselves, just the world looks nice. Like, I really like that they went with Europe as a theme. Because that's another thing that's part of the Pokemon DNA, at least as of late, is every single Pokemon game is set in a different real-world region that just has a different name. I mean, uh... Except for Kanto, I think. Nope, that's Japan. That's Japan as a whole. 
Oh, oh, wait, you might be right. Yeah. 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 No, right, yeah, never mind. But then they went broader. So then Johto was... What was Johto? I don't know. I don't remember. But uh, black and white is supposed to be America. And the main city was New York. And now it's Europe. And the main city is a Paris type of town called Lumio City, I believe, right? Yeah. I don't know why I keep forgetting its name. But um, I really like it. Like, I really like how... The European thing just fits well because it lets you keep the, the route shorter because Europe's very closely knit. Like, you can travel in Europe very quickly between places. So they were able to keep the route shorter to kind of mimic that feel. And so you're going to see a lot quicker. Yeah, no matter where you go, you're usually always going to end up in that center area. Yeah. But, um... And, and the stage is cool. Like, yeah. it just looks nice. Yeah, I like how, I guess, all the architecture in the game looks. But, I don't know, the way that people look still kind of bothers me. Yeah, they're a little they, too chibi. They, they, well, I mean, I'm fine with that. It's just... Sometimes when they zoom in on them, they look like something from, like, the original DS. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like they're just up they, they remind me a lot of the... They look exactly in model and, like, the Final Fantasy DS remakes, those characters. The Remember they remade yeah. the Final Fantasy Yeah, games? yeah, yeah, on DS. The, they were called, the re, like, Final Fantasy IV or something, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they remember... Yeah, um, Chibi. The, yeah, like Chibi. But, um, kind of Chibi. But... yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, everything in terms of product, they look like the faces are really fuzzy sometimes, and the, like, the yeah. textures are really low. Yeah, it, I think they could have done without some of those dynamic camera angles. Like, when you first enter the cities, and it's like a behind-the-back view, Oh, it's really jarring because they don't, like, transition the camera. Yeah. It's just one second, the camera's sometimes one way. Sometimes it's okay, but there was, yeah. a, there was a cave that um, it's always behind you the whole time, the third person. It's, I think it's called, like, the Mineral Cave or the Shining uh-huh. Cave. And um, if you're not really paying attention where you're going, you're going to get lost. Cause you're, yeah. Because, I mean, they're... The corridors are super narrow, and you either go left, right, or straight. So yeah. if you forget what direction you were going, you're going to be away. What they going back or straight? Because it, it all looks identical, and it's behind the shoulder, except yeah. at the bottom. Yeah, it's 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 I don't know. And like like when I first entered Lum, uh, Lumen, Lumio City for the first time, like or no, it wasn't even Lumio City. I was it was in the very first town when you leave your hometown when you go meet your friends to like get your Pokemon or whatever. And then when you go, like, the shops on left, um, to the left or right, and, like, when you get to the door, the camera, like, cuts to this weird side view. But when you walk, like, two steps away, it goes back to top-down. It's so jarring. It's, like, I don't know. It's a weird choice on their part. I do, however, like the dynamic camera in the Pokemon Center. It'll randomly show you different angles when you drop your Pokemon oh, off. Yeah. That's kind of a nice touch. But, um, but I did want to say, like, the attention to detail, even if the textures are a little res at times, and even if... You know, some of the camera angles are a little strange. The attention to detail they put into everything is really nice. I mean, now they have different types of grass you can walk through. I mean, they always had, like, different shades, coloring. But now there's literally, like, flower patches versus... Did they have flower patches before? They did. In black and white, maybe? Uh, And I'm pretty sure they had some in um, Diamond and Pearl. Because I remember they also had a tall grass in Diamond and Pearl and shorter grass. Right. Then maybe not that so much, but... But maybe... But now it's more detailed. Now it's way more detailed. You can actually see flower petals. And also, um... One very minor thing that does kind of neat. Did you notice when you talk to ch- children in the game or oh, yeah, Pokemon, you, you kneel down to their level? Yeah. Such a nice. I touch. like how they also put the item in the bag and stuff. Like yep, that. yeah, and he reaches into his messenger bag and everything. And there's tons of nerdy fan service in there too. I mean, I've, there's a I haven't seen it myself. But I know there's a my body is ready reference. I know there's a it's over nine thousand Dragon Ball Z reference. Uh, there's tons of references to Ruby and Sapphire apparently. There's all sorts of references to Hoenn and saying things like, oh, you'll you'll see it one day. So maybe a remake's coming up? I don't know. But if they do a remake, I hope it sticks with the current engine they're using for X and Y. Because I like it a lot. But uh, with all that said, the core game 
the core exploration of going, catching Pokemon, moving, you know, leveling up, going to the next town, Sarah, that feels a lot brisker. Like, a, it's a lot brisk, a lot more of a brisk pace now. It's a, I can talk. It's a lot faster now, is what I'm trying to say. And I actually really like it because of that. Like, you get, you know, you get your starter in a different way at the beginning, and then you get a second starter pretty early on, and you do the first gym. Before you even know it, you already beat the first gym. Right after you beat the first gym, you get rollerblades, which lets you go really fast with the control stick. Although, one minor nitpick, um, I really wish the control stick was both rollerblades and not rollerblades, because I just only use the control stick, and when I go on tall grass, the rollerblades, or any grass, the rollerblades, like, grind to a halt and are actually slower than walking, but I can only walk with the D-pads, so I have to remember to, like, switch controls for that five seconds I'm in the grass, which is a weird well, choice on their part. I don't know, I, I thought that was fine. I mean, I... I, I don't know, I, I, I just I, don't I, like... I just got used to it, like, right away. Like, I, I, like yeah. I was, like, playing with it, like, as soon as I got them, I'm like, okay, how do I switch back and forth, and then... I think I just don't I like the I kind of just ran in place a little, just, like, figuring yeah. out, and I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I mean, I can get used to it, I just don't like that it's, like, two movement controls for the same basic... Like, oh. they could have just made it a button. I don't know, I, I, I like it better that it was two movement controls. If anything, like, before I even realized it was two movement controls, I'm like, oh, I hope the D-pad lets me just walk around in the analog is first. Alright, so they designed it for you and not me, I guess. But, yeah, pretty um, much, I don't know, it was... It was yeah, I guess. but so all that happens early in the game, and then right after the first one, you also get experience share, and I'm really happy about this one, is I'm... One of the things I didn't like about Pokemon, see, this is probably something you, you weren't a big fan of either, because you like battles once your stats are maxed out, and that's level grinding, which is gets annoying like it's like oh well my my starter pokemon's level like 18 or 26 or whatever but my other pokemon in the party oh. are like level 15 or i just caught this awesome new pokemon i just caught myself a bidoof and i can't wait to use bidoof but yep he's an awesome pokemon but uh he's i caught him at level 8 and all my other pokemon are level 32 i now have to sit and level grind to raise him up granted at some point in the old games you got experience share that lets you share it with just bidoof It'd be like, you know, he gets 50% of the experience or whatever. But even then, you have to sit there and be like, all right, we've got to get Bidoof leveled up. Now, they do experience share for everyone in your party. You get experience whether you catch the Pokemon, whether the Pokemon faints. doesn't matter. You get experience, and everyone in your party gets, I think, 50% of the experience. So you'll be just playing, and I managed to level up some of my Pokemon like two or three times, you know, you know two or three times over without any, like, you know, grinding yeah, like or anything. It's so much quicker. It's so much nicer. And for someone that prefers the exploration side of Pokemon, like me, where it's just going and catching Pokemon and, you know, experiencing the world. I yeah. was very happy that I didn't have to level ground. I mean, like... That's probably my biggest Like, thing. I'm just trying to get through the game. Like, I'm not, by any means, just, like, skipping stuff. Like, I mean, I'm still battling every trainer I see and going through every encounter I find. Yeah. But, I mean, I'm still kind of just, like, I just want to get through the game and battle. But, um, with the experience share... Mm-hmm. I don't know, I mean, I still think it's kind of neat. Because not all those Pokemon I'm using, I'm not gonna... I mean, the other EVs or whatever, but that's a different story. Well, yeah. anyway... Like, the starter, I've only used... For the most part, I've only used my starter for, like, the about around 12 hours I play. I've never used any other Pokemon. I just, like, to pick with one. And he's, right. like, in level 41. And even though I haven't used the other ones, they're all, like, in level 38, 40. Like, yeah. They're all, like, right there, even though I never used them. So, I, I don't know. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, no, I think it's a great feature. And I think... I think this is a good example of, like, how... Like, the core Pokemon DNA... Like, the genetics of Pokemon... Second episode title name drop, how the genetics of Pokemon are like, they're in the game. It's rooted in what we're used to from Pokemon, but X and Y is doing things that make the experience just better overall. Like, the core thing with Pokemon is you have a party of six, you level them up, you go battle. In this one, it's like, yes, you have a party of six, but we know you don't want to sit there and level up your, I don't know, your Pikachu forever. So why don't we just let you battle how you want, and your Pikachu will just get a bunch of experience along the way. As will your Bunnelby. 
I don't know why I name dropping all these like early oh, on like wimpy Pokemon, but point they're the ones yeah. that stick with me. But they say, um, I mean, they say one thing. Um, I guess like if you still want to get strong Pokemon, this is like something that I learned at some point when I was get really getting into the whole really training Pokemon right. in Diamond Pro was that you don't need to have a level hundred Pokemon for it to be at its very best. Mm-hmm. I mean, like my the frog I have now because of the super training and just playing the game here he already maxed out all his stats right. even though he's at level 40 but if you play online how, how come you just call your frog your pokemon the frog you have now he has a name he has a name and he wants respect continue i don't know this is what i've been calling i know continue for, i know his name saying. is greninja or genghis frog or whatever hey blame ninja turtles for that but Such um, a good pun. what you're saying about online battles oh yeah come yeah, because um, when you're playing online or anyone for that matter, like um, battles are automatic automatically set the level of your Pokemon to fifty or hundred. Yeah. And if you already max out your stats, then yeah, then your stats are going to be what it would be at one hundred with max stats. Yeah. So, so, so at you, that so, point, the level is meaningless. Yeah. So you don't have to level grind and make it level one hundred. You, once you raise your little bar all the way up, and it tells you on the bottom screen when, like, oh, right. your Pokemon has finished their training. Congratulations. Then you know, like, okay, he's done. Like, but see, yeah. even experience sure helps with that. So yeah, so I mean, I don't know, it's, it's so it's nice. super nice. But so yeah, I'm really happy with the. And there's no like infinite rare candy glitch. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'm really happy with the. Uh, yeah, that hasn't been around in a long time. Yeah, uh, I well, as I said, I'm Actually, really happy. That. <laughs> yeah, uh, or Game Shark if we go way back. Um, what was I saying? Oh yeah, so I'm really happy with the way like things progress in the game. It just feels way more streamlined and. I mean, yeah, it's still roughly the same Pokemon, but you wouldn't want it to be too different, I'd argue. Although, I don't know, do you feel it's too similar? I still feel it's too the same. Even if it's um sped up. Like, I mean, I've noticed, like, okay, I got this sooner than I would, but it still feels the same. Yeah, I guess to some extent. Especially, I, I, like, how it unfolds with, like, the bad Team Rocket equivalent. It's just, like, yeah, my, like team been there, Flame, done that. Like, it's like another Team Magma, but... Been there, done that. But I mean, then again, that's the, that's the funny thing is Pokemon always has a story, yeah. but it's always on the kiddier side, in right. my but, opinion. But I mean, I guess that I don't, but I mean, but that's why I guess it just doesn't bother me. Then I mean, it feels very samey, and I guess I'm not really enjoying it as much as I should. But that's just because I just want to get through it. I just want to get to the right. And I think like, that's where like what we think the core of Pokemon is varies. Because like with me, it is that you know getting through it that I enjoy. It's the, the going through the world, yeah, like getting the badges, just finding different Pokemon. You know, seeing what they can do, seeing their personality type, even though things like seeing a personality. Yeah, type. I mean, like almost. I don't think I've really read any full dialogue box. I've kind of just skipped through it. Yes, yeah. I'm like, I'm not even. I'm not just like. It's not just like seeing the Pokemon. It's I've played with Pokemon and me. By the way, I can't believe we didn't pick up on this. Pokemon and me is a pun. Poke mon ami. Mon ami is my friend in French. It's the fr- it's the building the friendship mode. In a game set in a fictional France, and they call it Pokemon Ami, my Pokemon friend. Oh. How did we not pick up on that pun? I took French in high school. Well, I, I, well, up I on didn't. That. So I would have known. I should have picked up. On I mean, that. I that's actually kind of really clever. That's definitely better than Low Rule. <laughs> oh. Pokemon Ami. Well, I mean, but, the only one I noticed was um, just because it's Spanish. The one of the gym leaders is named Ramos, and that's Spanish for branch. And he hey, has grass type. Yeah. yeah. That's actually that's not quite as clever as Pokemon and me. I know, yeah. But no, like even that, like I even like doing that. Like, yeah, granted, you're just rubbing a Pokemon with a stylus and feeding him food and doing mini games. 
But it's kind of like it's just kind of fun to like see their personality come shine through in that in particular because they're fully 3D rendered. Yeah. They're on the touch screen. You're interacting with them Nintendo style. It's certainly shallower than Nintendo Nintendo, but it's a fun little diversion. Yeah. The so only, I mean, the only I guess other thing. I mean, this, obviously this only applies to people that play Pokemon games like religiously. Well, no, well, no, not even just have played through various games. Oh yeah. Because I mean, um, it's like the gym leaders. Like, I remember, like, the first few Pokemon games I played, like, it felt like, oh, cool, like, now I'm facing the Rock-type gym leader and stuff. Right. And then, then on Gold and Silver, like, I mean, we had types that we didn't before, like, the Steel-type gym leader yep. and the Dark-type gym leader. Yep. But I guess now that we've been through that thing so many times that they started to repeat. I don't yeah, know, it what, does have kind of a rinse and repeat. Sort like, of like, like, and then, I guess, now they just feel like, oh, now I'm finding a skater, but they're the fighting-type gym leader. And mm. Before, they used to be a karate person. That's the fighting-type gym leader. But Or look at that bug gym leader. She sure likes taking photos. Yeah, like, I don't know. I think it'd be cool, like, if instead of focusing on a type, they focus on a strategy. Like, huh. That's an interesting idea. Like, um, like, that's one thing that I really liked about Pokemon... Battle Revolution, Battle Revolution was welcome. that. I don't know. I keep watching that name, even though it's like one of my favorite Wii Wii. Oh my God, Wii games. I'm like, yeah, I'm tired. You you are a huge fan of the Wii's Pokemon Stadium Two Gold Silver Edition. That is what it's called, right? Pokemon Stadium Two on N64. I was combining a very old game with a very modern console. The joke in that was the fact that they didn't match. But you just gave me the blanket stare if I was serious. So clearly that didn't work. Oh well, in that game. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I thought it was really cool how, like, they forced you to go into double battles, but instead of, like, typing them, like, there was one set of battles where that revolved around slow Pokemon and Trick Room, and, like, how right. you had to overcome, like, okay, all these slow Pokemon are all of a sudden super fast. Then there was another team that focused around one Pokemon that, oh, no matter what you do, one of your Pokemon is always going to fall asleep. Yeah. So you have to, like, kind of work around that. And then there's another Pokemon, another team that focused around. Like, having a really speedy one. Right, right. So, so instead of doing just, so more like about types, it'd be that. Yeah, basically, yeah. Not focusing on types. It was more on strategy. I wouldn't be surprised if they start doing that in the future. Because, I mean, you brought up the good point that, yeah, okay, at, at its core, this Pokemon is, you know, normal Pokemon. But they basically imported the battles of Stadium or Coliseum or Battle Revolution or, or XD or yeah. Stadium 2 or Stadium 3. I'm, I'm done. But, you know, so they imported the 3D battles. So I guess the next step would be importing the 3D battle scenarios. Yeah, because that's all the game was. It was just creative battle scenarios yeah. that you don't get in that. I mean, that's yeah. pretty much all it was, right? Just an expansion. Like, yeah. Oh, you like this game, take your Pokemon to... That's challenges. literally what it was. It was like, hey, you battled your Pokemon to pass the Elite Four. Now battle them against these guys in 3D. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and then my personal favorite one was where they have the weather, automatic weather elements. Like oh, you, right, like right, you, right, You fight a person that automatically sends out, like, their team revolved around drought, or one yeah. team revolved around rainy day. That's interesting, by so the way, is they cool. change how the weather uh, attributes work in X and Y. Oh. Apparently, steel isn't as affected by... Were they affected by rain or something in the past? Who was affected by rain, or water, or something? Um, and, like, crippled them. It, like, totally crippled them. Because whoever... Oh, just, just fire types. Like, their attacks were weakened, and... If you sunny day, it, does, it wasn't as effective. I don't remember exactly what I read, <laughs> but one type that was severely crippled by a weather effect that isn't caused by a Pokemon, but just you'd be like, it's blah 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 out or whatever. Maybe it was because I don't know what I'm saying. Point being, uh-huh. what they severely lim- they severely scaled back one of the effects that, ha- if that had one weather thing had on one type of Pokemon. This is the vaguest thing I've ever said in my life. <laughs> I, I know, swear I read this. I mean, it, it couldn't have been rain because rain doesn't really do anything to any Pokemon. I swear and, and I read it, this. And it couldn't have been sun or... It has to have been sandstorm because sandstorm is the one that 
it's really really like used in tournaments like or everywhere it's just the most damaging one because i mean it damages you every turn right with the exception of hail but no one really uses hail yeah i don't know why i was reading but i remember i don't know it'll come to me because i'm googling so magically pop into my head when i read it on google but no i was gonna say though that uh yeah i think going forward pokemon i think it i think they're at the point now where they could keep at least for me, I'd be happy with the core exploration, which I don't think they should ever get rid of, combined with the stay in battles, because then that would address your main thing about Pokemon, the yeah, thing that I, hooks you, which is battles. Maybe that's also why, like, I've kind of got in more, I don't know, I guess, indifferent about just progressing through the game, was just because all the battles are literally just kind of typecast. They're just, um, kill that Pokemon, kill that Pokemon. Like, there's no, none of the actual characters in the game have a strategy in them. Mm-hmm. But in the console games, actually have strategies built around them, so yeah, they just felt very repetitive, and like I just want to beat them. Right, right. By the way, I checked IGN and got my answer. I was mixing things up. Steel is no longer quite as dominant defensively. Auto weather effects end after a certain number of turns. Now that's what's new. They're not the whole battle. Oh, that's good. And grass types can switch into sleep moves like Spore. Okay then. What? I don't know what that means. That's just what it says. Wait, gra- oh. uh, quote, grass types can switch into sleep moves like Spore. Anyway, so... The I- Sandstorm thing, or I mean, what that other thing is, it is actually really, really, really big. Because, um... Yeah, no, I remember Sandstorm being, like, a real pain at times. Well, I mean... Well, and other weather well, effects. Well, yeah, I mean, because normally weather effects, like, you could use rainy the attack rainy day or or you use the move sandstorm and they'll make mm-hmm. a, the weather last for five turns. Right. But if you have a Pokemon that's ability automatically causes it like Hippo like Hippodon or Tyranitar, like as long as when you send them out, the weather will last the entire yeah, the entire yeah. match. Yeah. And entire teams are based around that strategy and sometimes it's kind of annoying and boring where you have a turn end and then your Pokemon get damaged by Sandstorm. Now you got damaged by poison. Now you got damaged by this. Right. And there's like seven different effects. And everyone uses leftovers. It's like it's yep. like the post game thing is. Yeah. But in I mean in in Revolution, I mean it all happens simultaneously. Hey, you said the right name. Yeah. It's, it, right. I, well, I, you said I, half I, the you said half the name Battle Revolution. I, I, I paused though, but yeah. No, yeah, but I mean in in Battle Revolution, like almost all those effects kind of happen simultaneously. Right. Right. Or they go by really fast, but in DS, oh my god. Yeah. It happens so slow, and I used like when. Blissey was in my team before, and she has, like, ridiculous amount of HP. Mm-hmm. And her HP goes down so slow. Oh, my <laughs> God. Like, you know, this actually 30 seconds all... just to get rid of, like, 20 health or something. Oh, man. That would be nuts. Uh, like, that, I would not like that. But this actually is a good segue into your main... Because we're now getting into, like, the technical stuff a bit. So, for me, it's all about, as I've said a few times, it's all about the world. It's all about finding them all. You know, finding Pokemon... Catching them, finding more Pokemon. For you, it's about making a team and yeah, battling. Well, I mean, like, or making a couple teams. And, you like, the mechanics of battling is your forte. Yeah, like, we've already, like, touched on quite a bit about, like, how the battling has, like, really changed or, like, what I... Yeah. Like, no, but, I mean, like, just the addition of fairy types and the... I mean, every generation always adds different moves. And, I don't know, a lot of the moves are, I don't know, they're getting really creative. Like, um, yeah. there's a move called um, Throwdown that I just thought was kind of funny where it's really just, it's a rock type move and they throw a rock. Uh-huh. And if it hits a flying type, the flying type will just fall to the ground and that's it. Like, they'll lose, like, their <laughs> flying ability. Really funny. Like, like, they'll lose their flying ability, so. Right. So they could be hit by earthquake and stuff. And right. I thought, I don't know, I'm like, oh, I thought that was kind of cool. It actually reminds me, it's interesting that they've mixed up battles a little, not the scale that we were talking about, like, 
in how Balrog Evolution does it, but they now have battles in the air, they now have horde battles, they now have Yeah, I mean like I mean they have six on six now, like things are Yeah, I mean like that does like also keep it like a little more interesting, like okay, now I have to carry certain types of Pokemon with me. Yeah. Like I mean But it still stays true to like the structure of the Pokemon battles and that yeah. essence of Pokemon. It's just they've expanded what you can do within them. Either you're in the air, you're on the ground, you're underground, you're well not mm-hmm. underground. That'll be the next game. Yeah, and I mean... Diglets everywhere. Since I'm still, like, two hours into the game, I still haven't really seen, like, exactly how many moves got affected, too. But usually, for the most part, moves also get weakened or strengthened, depending on... Right. Like, I mean, Pokemon, or I guess, yeah, the Pokemon company, like, does pay attention to, like, all the major tournaments, like, Mm -hmm. that they host. Well, yeah, they do the World Champions. Yeah, so, I mean, like, so they know, like, which moves are overpowered and which moves have to, like, get crippled. And, like, Surf, like, got, like, weakened a little. Because, I mean, that's an HM that everyone gets, and... It's a really strong HM. Yeah, it is. I remember I used to dominate with Surf in Red version. Yeah, I mean... It, I was just... I had Blastoise, and I just... Or Wartarl, or Squirrel, whatever stage she was in. And I just... Surf? Like, wipe out half the Elite Four just with Surf. Yeah, like, Surf is, like, pretty much the move... Like, your go-to water move for... Yeah, like it was amazing. Attack. It had a really cool animation for a Game Boy thing. It, like, filled up the whole screen with water, and yeah, then, like, yeah, crashed yeah. it. It's... Oh, man. Yeah, but for the most part, like, I mean... Well, there, there is one yeah, major there, change yeah, in there's battle. Always, there's always tweaks. There's one major change, at least surface level, from a marketing standpoint, and that's Mega Evolutions. Oh, Mega Evolution. At first, I did Mega Megavolutions. Mega Evolutions, yeah. Mega Evolutions. Mega Evolutions. Is that what you're trying? Like, I, I've been able, I've been able to dabble with them like for uh, a few hours. So, like, I, my questions have finally been. I didn't know whether like Mega evolving a Pokemon took up a whole turn, but literally, like, when you send out a Pokemon that can Mega evolve. The option to Mega Evolve will appear, and you just like tap it. It will just stay highlighted, and then you pick your move. And then mm-hmm. after that, then they'll Mega Evolve, and then your move will appear. Right. And the thing about those is like, if you're just gonna play casually, it's gonna be really hard to tell whether it's having a really big effect or not. It'll just make everything look flashier, basically. Yeah, like like, like and okay. be a little more powerful. Yeah, it's like okay, my Pokemon's stronger, but like for the most part, like if a move is gonna kill a Pokemon in one hit, it's probably still gonna. I mean. Yeah, most moves will still kill Pokemon in one hit if yeah. it's super effective, whether you're Mega Evolved or not. So Right, right. But, um, yeah, I was looking at, um, like, just, like, exactly how much of a difference it actually makes in stats and just, like, how strong it makes them, and it really does make a huge difference. So, as far as, like, tournament play goes and just, like, building a good team, I don't know, it, yeah, this new mind game, it's gonna be... It's gonna be a while to everyone. Yeah, like, like I'm, I'm excited about like just the, the thought of like um, just playing someone and they send out an Alakazam, right. and Alakazams are normally known for having really weak normal defenses. So like, oh, I could kill it in one hit. Mm-hmm. But normally people give it an item that makes it survive that one hit. Mm-hmm. But now it's like, okay, is he gonna Mega Evolve him, and that's gonna be a problem because if you Mega Evolve him, you're sacrificing your item slot. Yeah. So now there's like this. This is more levels to it. Yeah, it's it's base. Yeah, it's like so, a whole um, new layer. Which yeah. is again kind of the. And I was on your side, like, do I want to sacrifice a slot to Mega Evolve them, right. or do I want? And not only that, but you can only Mega Evolve one Pokemon per yeah per battle, right? So you can't have a full team of all Mega Evolved, right? That'd make, be too cheap. Yeah, yeah, you can only have one Mega Evolve, and once you Mega Evolve them, then all your other Mega Stones become useless. Yeah, so then you lose all those potential items that could have been in their place. Yeah, so yeah. I don't know. It, we, we're probably gonna see a lot of creative teams or a lot of like different yeah. teams, like okay, one revolving around that Charizard and. And also, I think this is a this is actually an interesting. I mean, I know I keep harping on like, well, the core of Pokemon is next, but like, the, <laughs> and that is kind of how we're theming this. So it is worth mentioning that it's really interesting that they took 
I mean, battles are battles, you know. They've been tweaking them for yeah. every generation to add something new, but this one's probably... Like patches, pretty much. Yeah, but this one's, like, one of the... I don't even know what the wording I'm looking for is, but this is, like, one of the more interesting changes where, yeah, it's different and it's new, but at the same time, it feels, like, distinctly Pokemon still. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Like, there's something about it. Just the way that it, you... How they treat it, how, like, how it... You know, yes, okay, you have a Mega Evolution, but it's your only one... You don't have item like the way they balance everything. Just like lots of RPGs, are just like you get oh you're like in hyperdrive mode. You're overpowered now. Go go go! And it just doesn't have any consequences. But this no, one, yeah, everything's so carefully balanced. Yeah, I mean like your Pokemon can still die in one hit even if you're Mega Evolved. Yeah, like, it's not they're not invincible. You just yeah. have and I think that to be careful. Yeah, I think on the battle side, that's one of the interesting things about Pokemon is that they do really excessive balancing of everything not excessive it's the right amount but they do extensive there we go balancing of everything like if they introduce anything like even when they introduce fairy type it's like okay well we're introducing fairy type because dragon got too strong so we need to balance that out like yeah, it's, but they also can make fairy too powerful right so then they had to do its weaknesses and then at that time and then they had to like re-weigh about each and they have 718 pokemon and they had or yeah and they had to go okay which one should be a fairy type now and they went back and retro like uh azuril the pre-evolution of Meryl. Or yeah, Meryl. so now it's yeah. like Water Fairy, right? Yeah, and Water Fairy. It's like they, like that you would yeah, Mr. Mind so, is now like Psychic Fairy. Yeah, so they like, they, the fact that they keep retooling everything to this extent, it's like, that's something I feel like that's very distinctly Pokemon. Yeah. And something that no matter what direction they go in with the game, that's always going to be the case. Like no matter what they put on the surface layer, the back end, the like, the, the raw stats and all that bouncing is going to always be, probably, at least for people like you that are more into the battling than into yeah. the, and I mean, like, even though, I mean, yes, like, there's, like, over 700 Pokemon, and obviously, with that many Pokemon, you can't have every single Pokemon be, like... Perfect, yeah. yeah. worth using. Yeah. Like, there's really only probably, like, 100 Pokemon that people are going to use, like, competitively. Right. But, I mean, like, even though I like to play, I try to, like, make the best team possible, I still always try to incorporate my favorite Pokemon in there, it, even if they're considered... Like, worst of the worst or whatever. I'll find a way to make them work. See, I want to do that. So, so and now, that's, <laughs> like, I mean, I always try to find room for my Chatot. Like, I always have to have a Chatot in there. Or, yeah. or a Weavile. Even, even though Weavile was considered, like, overused at some point, now they're, like... Yeah, I was going to say, Weavile was pretty popular. Almost. Yeah, but now they're bumped all the way down just because... Yeah. Yeah, fighting type. Or, like, like and... with me, I seriously contemplated adding... Yeah, some teams. It's, it's right. Fun. With me, I seriously contemplated adding Bidoof to my X and Y team. I mean, Bunnelby serves the job. It's equally goofy. But Bidoof is just, like, the king of goof. And <laughs> I really want to add him. And I, it just, like, I tried. And I was just like, no, this doesn't make sense. Like, it was a very hard moment in my life to well, decide I mean, if I should add Bidoof to my team. So, but no, it is, like, that's probably, also part of it. It's like, yeah, you can have this all-star team, but you also want, like, the fun I mean, characters. If you're already with Adam, he's like the Swiss Army knife of Pokemon. He could, do your, he could do your cut, your surf, your strength. I know, I know. Maybe I'll add him back in. I'll, I kind of like Bunnelby. Bunnelby's like an upright Bidoof. Why not both? That's a waste of <laughs> space. But uh, now one other thing that I didn't really play with it too much because I was more messing with like Pokemon and Pokemon and me and and uh, you know just wandering around the world. But you being the training type and the battle oriented type, I take it you've tried super training. Right? Yeah, that was like the first thing I did. Yeah, so that's the moment the, I could. Yeah. So yeah, for those who don't know, that's the new training element in Pokemon X and Y, where yeah. you can boost EV stats, right? Yeah, pretty much. Like without getting into too much detail because it's it's a lot and it's kind of weird to explain through. Yeah, it'll be confusing. Right. But pretty much, um, 
EV training, like, every Pokemon, every single Pokemon has, we'll say, like, well, yeah, every Pokemon has 510 points that they could distribute through all their stats. Yeah. And, but eight, but each stat can only receive 252 points at most. So, I mean, that means you can't pour all your points into one stat and make right. it, like, godly powerful. Right. And for every four points, you get plus one on that stat. So that's why when you see, like, oh, my Pokemon's attack went up plus three, that means you got plus 12 EV points. Mm-hmm. And usually, like, EV training back then, or I mean, or I guess still now, it's the same thing. <laughs> back, to, back in the day. Yeah, back in the day when you really want to EV train. Back when we played Pokemon by listening to the radio <laughs> and, and imagining it in our heads. I mean, like, after, I mean, you have to collect a bunch of items to really make it worth it. You have to get, like, the Macho Brace, which, like, helps you, doubles EV points that you get uh-huh. from battling. You get, you have to get the Pokerus virus, which is, like, a rare virus. That you I get remember that one. Yep. And that also doubles your EV stats, so, and after you have all of that. Like, if I want to make a really fast Pokemon, I'll have to fight, like, yeah, let me just throw the number out there, like, 30 Zubats, because Zubats give you speed. Right. And then after, then after you fight the 30 Zubats, then you want to fight my 30 Psyducks, because they'll give me special attacks, so I'll fight 30 Psyducks. And that takes a while, and then, okay, then now my Pokemon is all powered up. Mm-hmm. But now instead of going through all that and finding those Pokemon to battle, um, Super Training lets you just... After you complete all the tutorials and unlock all the levels, right. you literally just pick, okay, I want to power up my attack. And then you pick whether you want level 1, 2, or 3. Mm-hmm. And depending on the level you pick, it determines how many EV points you get. And you just do a little mini game. You just shoot soccer balls at targets on the Pokemon. And if you pick the attack mini game, you'll fight a Pokemon that correlates with attack. So it'll be like an Axu. And you just keep shooting soccer balls at it. You win the mini game and you get plus 3 to your attack or plus 12 or whatever. Right. And if you do that enough times, you max it out, and that's your EV training. Now... And it's presented like... Oh, it's really... EVs used to... Sorry to interrupt, right. just real quick. EVs used to be hidden, right? Like, it's the fact that they're outright... Yeah, like, you know, here's right. how EVs are, guys. Here's how they work. Here's what your number yeah, is. That's that's what, new, I think right? it's amazing that someone, like, just figured it out. At some point, someone just yeah. figured it out. Like, yeah. they never tell you, like, how many EVs you have. They just... You, the only way you ever know is because at some point in the game, there's someone, a little a character... That just gives you like, oh, you've worked really hard with your with your Charizard. Here's an effort ribbon. Right. And before I'm like, okay, I guess it's because I got on like to level sixty or something. But it turns out that that meant you maxed out all your EVs. Mm-hmm. And in this game, when you're there's a little meter on the left side of your touch screen when you're in that little um, super training screen, which you acts which you get to by pressing L and R a few times or just swiping it. Uh-huh. And, um, on the bottom. Yeah, yeah, eventually you'll see like a little tiny icon of a someone flexing, and that means that they leveled up all the way, or the meter will fill up all the way, and that means they right. trained them. So, yeah. so how's the mini game itself? The mini game is just on um, like you get two minutes to throw soccer balls at an inflatable Pokemon, and they you just have to. It's kind of like Kid Icarus, I guess. So you're moving with the control yeah, stick. Yeah, and... yeah, yeah. With the control stick, you're dodging, and with the touch screen, you're aiming, and you have to hold, you have to tap and hold on the touch screen to charge up, and then you let go to shoot. If you hold it too long. You get exhausted and you don't shoot anything. And if you tap it rapid fire, you you shoot a lot of balls, but you don't get as many points. So if you charge it all the way right before you do your cooldown effect, then right. you get the most points. See, that's my problem with this and why I didn't play. Besides the fact I'm not super bad, like EV training, like the amount of depth that's in Pokemon and has been for generations now, it's great for like people like you for sure. But for more casual like me, it's just like, oh, whatever. I'll just go. Yeah, I'm really... going to go wander through some grass now and catch a Clefairy. You go have fun battling or whatever. Yeah, I mean, you really don't have to do that to, like, get through the game. I mean, I've... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, but... 
the the point I was going to say about that though is like this makes me think oh well EV training might be interesting because, or super training as they call it now because like it's a mini game doesn't support me I'm a left handed person and I've been discriminated against by this game because I have to awkwardly there's no like option to use the face buttons X B A Y in lieu of the control stick at, for movement so I'm like stuck like holding the stars with the wrong hand Funny it's really that weird do that so that's why I haven't really tried it because yeah. it's like I'm not. I'm surprised I don't, they with it. don't let you use the buttons, considering like you're using the touchscreen with one hand, so you're not even pressing the buttons. Why not just? Yeah, and never mind the fact that you know Nintendo's like major software guy Miyamoto, Shigeru Miyamoto, is left-handed and he can't even play it properly. Is he a Pokemon guy? Or what? I have, no, he has nothing to do with Pokemon, but he works at Nintendo. Nintendo no, I mean like, I mean, does he even play? Well, oh, I have no idea. Well, obviously, but yeah. No, he's too busy working on his gardening, his gardening skills, and exploring caves and petting his dog and weighing himself on a bathroom scale and doing whatever it is that will lead to his next great game. Simultaneously. Simultaneously. Bathroom scale just is his shoes. It's <laughs> cut down the middle. He just walks with it. But, uh... So what do you think, with EV train, with the Super Train, do you think... I mean, obviously this is going to change know, how it, tournaments work because now it sounds really easy to EV train. Yeah, like, now literally, like, anyone that wants to do it can just jump in and not have to really worry about... So like, basically, like calcul- I mean, honestly, before I had to calculate like the number of yeah. Pokemon I had to attack. I had to like use a little counter. Okay, I've killed twelve Psyducks. I only need like this many more to go. That's actually right. And fine. and for the most part, like it was, it wasn't that hard because I could just. For the most part, when you want to make a good Pokemon, you just max out speed and one attack. So you're just splitting right. it down the middle, and you just keep killing Psyducks until you don't get any more points. Yeah. But when you want to make, like, a Blastoise that requires you to, like... To make a good Blastoise, you want to give it some defense, some HP, some attack. Mm-hmm. And that's where you have to be really careful. Like, okay, I have to kill three Psyducks, but one of them has to probably be a little lower level. So, right, so right. I don't take a, so I don't waste any of my EVs for, that I want to use for another stat. And now you just flick soccer balls. Yeah, so now, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you just look at the little meter on top. You yeah. just keep flicking soccer balls until it says, like, oh, you don't get any more. Yeah. It's funny because, like, with Pokemon games in general, there's always, like, a lot of hidden depth, but it's very simple on the surface. Yeah, cause I mean, but now they're taking one of the hidden depth things and making it really simple on the surface. Like, it's interesting yeah, that they're... But I mean, like, is this the first time they transitioned like that? Like, from taking this really, like, hardcore thing... And make it super like casual friendly. Yeah, I mean, it's but I mean, I think that's. I don't know, I'm I'm really glad that they did that. Yeah, I mean that's. I mean, I don't know. It's. Fun. I mean, I, I like. It's a fun mini game, and it's an easy way for someone to at least like. Yeah. Just learn about it, but I mean, there's still a lot of other hidden things that they still that they never ever explain in the game. Oh, of course. I mean, like, like when you get a Pokemon, I'll say like, oh, they're naughty, they're impish, they're timid like their their uh personality type yeah. yeah their nature like that severely like affects their their stats like right like if you gave me like uh i don't know like a timid weavile or something i would say like oh that t- weavile is useless like it's mm-hmm. no good like i need a jolly weavile because jolly like i uh, swear uh, i'm gonna use that <laughs> quote one day i need a jolly weavile guys because <laughs> i mean like because jolly like inc- like maxes up make sure that your speed is at as high up as it as maxed out as it yeah. can get yeah but it lowers your special attack. But a Weavile is a physical attacker, so a special attack is irrelevant. Mm-hmm. But a Timid Weavile lowers your physical attack, which is what you want your Weavile to have, but increases your speed. Right. So. so, I mean, ideally... And then there's IVs, and that's a whole other, other right. thing. Right, right. Yeah, that's the other part where it says, like, oh, they're um, alert to sounds, or that stuff. That's just... That's the only part of Pokemon that people can't control. That just means, like, okay, if you have... Depending on what it says, you're going to have a stat that... Will have a plus range between one and thirty-one. It's so a big you, range. Yeah, <laughs> but I was gonna say so. It, it's interesting. Just over the course of this conversation, which has been going for a while now, 
I picked up on the fact that, like, the way we're talking about it, like, mine was super, like, almost superficial, and yours was super, like, in- like, not superficial, but mine was all, like, the surface level, and yours was, like, super in-depth, which makes me wonder, like, what would be, like, for the next Pokemon game, let's say they continue going down this path, and maybe they do the gym thing you suggested, where it's based on, you know, types of moves instead of types of Pokemon, but what... Like, your ideal Pokemon game. I don't think it would be X and Y based on what you're saying. Because you're saying it's not different enough. So what would your... Like, what would your ideal... Would it be, like, a battle simulator? It'd be pretty much, like, battle... It'd be pretty much battle revolution. But instead of just, like... Instead of having to import your Pokemon from a Pokemon game because that would require you to train them. Yeah. It'd be pretty much, like... Yeah, kind of what to do with the battle simulator. You just pick the Pokemon. I know they offer Pokemon in, like, battle revolution. Like, Like pre-made Yeah, like, you don't need to have the game, but... Like, pretty much you pick the Pokemon you want, you pick the moves you want, you pick the nature, and then you just set it, okay, I want my speed to be maxed out, I want my attack to be maxed out. Right. Like, pretty much like you're creating a character in an RPG. That makes sense. Just like create your own team and then just battle, just battle online, just battle So, team. like, I that guess we, this would be like an eShop thing, like you download it, yeah, like a simulator, like the Pokemon simulator. Yeah, I can't see it being like a full retail thing. Like, it would have yeah. to be like, I don't know, it'd be cool if it was just like, yeah, just an eShop thing, like on the Wii U, you just... Yeah. That'd be cool, actually. Like, Pokemon in HD. Yeah, like, yeah, like, like budget, yeah, like, it'd be, like, budget press, and you just battle, like, right. you just, that way you just, like, focus more on, like, creating, like, unique teams and cool, just, like, trying yeah. a different strategy, instead of worrying about, like, how many eggs you have to breathe to get the right nature, right, and right. stuff like that. And I guess they could also integrate, like, hypothetically, could integrate Pokemon Bank, so you could transfer your Pokemon in, if you want to use the ones you did breed forever. Yeah. Like, because, uh, I mean, Pokemon Bank, which, actually, it's a good time to bring it up. Uh, it didn't launch with X and Y. It's coming out December 27th. So how it works is you can store up to 3,000 Pokemon in the cloud, in a cloud, in a server somewhere. And uh, from December 27th to January 31st, it's completely free to use. But then at that point, you have to start paying five bu- $5 a month if you want to use it. If you- that was $5 a year. I mean, sorry, $5 a year. Yeah, a month would be nuts. $5 a year. I know, like, what is this? Like, yeah, $5 a year. Xbox you- Live? Yeah. <laughs> for, <laughs> for, for, for holding my Pokemon. But... Um, yeah, it's five bucks a year if you want to keep using it. Otherwise, they'll keep your Pokemon there, but you won't have access to them. Like they don't erase your Pokemon. Yeah, so and I don't, and also with that comes the Pokemon Black and White One and Two Transfer Tool, which is a 3DS app that you you know you stick Pokemon in your 3DS and, or Pokemon Black and White in your 3DS. Open the app and it like scans the Pokemon out. Once they're taken out there, they're gone forever. Yeah, which is interesting. One thing um that I actually didn't realize until my brother brought it up was that um the when he told me, like, oh, like, since we have this Pokemon bank, does that mean they're giving you less storage in the game? And I'm like, oh, no. Like, I was, no, I was, I was, I was it's pre- like Pokemon Box. I, I was pretty sure it was the same amount of storage from Diamond and Pearl. Like, I mean, no, that's like how many boxes you have in the computer. Oh, no, yeah. But before you used to have, I think, either 20 slots or between 11 and 20. How many are in this one so far? Seven. You only have seven slots ha. now. That's fine. So, like, they're li- they purposely gave you way less... I don't know. I don't think have. they purposely did. I honestly think it's the cartridge is packed with all those animations and all that 3D and stuff. Like, animating 718 polygonal Pokemon. Uh, good point. Yeah. But still. Yeah, I, it's... Still. It's, yeah. I just... I was like, wow. Oh, man. And I'm catching them all. So, I mean, I'm not... I haven't caught them all. I'm not playing to catch every single one, but I'm catching every new Pokemon I come across... As part of my whole, like, I love the exploration bit. So, because I'm you gonna, said it? <laughs> no, well, no. no, no so, no, I'm yeah. going to fill that up pretty fast. I'm already, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm I mean, no, seven won't be enough. Full. I mean, the, I didn't notice there was only the seven. 11 or between 11 or 20 that you had before was barely enough to fill up yeah. the 649. Yeah. 
But there, there is one last thing. So, in this lengthy, but very interesting, I think, conversation about X and Y, we really talked about how, like, for you, it's the nitty-gritty of the battle. For me, it's just, like, the overall world. But there is, I think, one thing that kind of is in the middle that we can both agree on, and that's how multi... You know, in terms of, like, what makes Pokemon so great, and that's all the multiplayer stuff. Because on the one hand, you have the nitty-gritty battles when you battle online, but on the other hand, you have the whole, like, commu- interconnected community and the little, like, world within a yeah. world. I mean, I wouldn't be playing competitively okay. if I didn't have, like, friends to be playing competitively exactly. with. I mean, like, yeah. yeah, sure, like, I could play random people online, but it was always at its best when, like, I'm like, oh, like, what strategy do you have? Yeah. And, and I feel like this is almost, like, a late addition to Pokemon. Because, like, granted, there was always the Link Cable back in the day, and there was, you know... And then they did, like, the wireless infrared with Game Boy Advance. But, like, the online is what really, like, took it to the next mm-hmm. level. This is, like... It's, like, the how they did online in the current game is, like, what they were trying to do way back when. But they just didn't have the technology. So they yeah. settled for link cables. They settled for that sort of thing. Because it's, like, constantly online. Like, how it works is you have the PSS on the bottom screen. Player search system. Were you going to say something? You look like you're about to say Oh, no. I was going to say, like... For some reason, when we're talking about, like, I guess just playing with friends or just, yeah. like, that thing. It reminded me of, I guess, like, probably my most elongated battle of all time that lasted literally like it came down to one-on-one pokemon my blissey versus um our friend kevin mm-hmm. um his starmie how long and, did the battle take well i don't know how long the the battle overall took but just between blissey and starmie like our last two pokemon that itself took around half an hour wow just, i would be bored by that point just because um he would attack me i would take damage i would heal myself yeah then i would attack him I would put him to sleep, damage him a few times, right. but then he would wake up and then he'll heal himself. Right, and they just and then he went back and forth that, until yeah. we ran out of moves, and then I got lucky and he went to sleep for one extra turn, and I got that last seismic top in. And I remember um, a few friends were watching us battle in the beginning, and by the end of it, we they were all lost. We, yeah, we were all by ourselves just watching. Yeah, I don't blame your friends for ditching you, but uh, why? Well, it was intense as as heck. Yeah, I bet I bet it was. But well, no, for the people playing, I mean, viewers right. like, oh my yeah, god. Yeah, no, it was not intense for anyone watching. Oh, uh, well, well, it's it was, probably, like, the most boring thing ever. But, oh, yeah. I'm sure. But yeah, but see, that multiplayer stuff, like, the fact that you two are having time of your lives, like, that really shows the strength yeah. of Pokemon. Like, you were literally just hitting a button. Yeah, saying, over and over again. It's like, just sleep one more turn. Yeah, it's just like, and somehow that was captivating. Like, it's amazing how video games in general can do that. But mm-hmm. what I was saying about online that I find kind of interesting is I feel like X and Y really... I feel like the online bridges the whole, like, people that like exploring and people that like battling. Or people that like the world and people that like the battles within the world. Like, it puts it together really nicely, especially with how X and Y does it, because uh, what I was mentioning was the player... What's the PSS stand for? Player search system? Yeah. So, online or offline. If you're on local Wi-Fi and you see another 3DS in your radio, and there's another 3DS in your radio, so if you're online, any trainer you come across will just pop up. So when it's online, it's just like a continuing scroll bar of trainers. And you could challenge any of them on the spot to a battle, to a trade. You could do a randomized trade called a wonder trade, which is almost like... Actually, this is really cool. It's like when you open a booster pack of Pokemon cards, you're like, what what holographic card did I get? Like, you all know, it's a surprise. It's the same idea. You put out a Pokemon, and you get back whatever it gives you from from some guy or girl in the world. And that's it. They also have uh, these uh, these things called O-Powers, where you can unlock these abilities over yeah, course. Sir. It's actually a really cool concept. You're basically yeah. rewarding random strangers. So you unlock these, co- or friends. You're unlocking these powers over the course of the game you can level them up and it's basically things like, you know, you'll get double experience for three minutes or you'll get extra money when you win in a battle or that sort of thing. And you can then just send them to people. Like, you just activate them on other people's games. The other person has to approve it, I believe. But still, like, I can, like, if we're both online at the same time, I can just be like, hey, yeah, I got this double experience thing. Here you go. Or some random stranger just like, I want you to make more money and just give it to them. And they get it for about three minutes. And it's just like a cool little way of like 
bridging that world. That's why I was saying that. Yeah, that's why I was saying it's more than just straight up like, okay, online has battles. It's like really like you're interacting with other players, and even just like the fact that the PSS works as long as your Wi-Fi is on. Doesn't matter if you're on online or local. Like you could be sitting on a bus. And some other guy will be at the front of the bus. And if you're both playing Pokemon on the bottom screen, you'll pop up on each other's display, your little avatar. Which, yeah. by the way, another thing they add to this game, fully customizable characters. So they'll pop up, and you can challenge them to a battle right then and there. It's like literally like Pokemon in real uh, life. It's, it's the closest you can get to real life Pokemon. It's really cool. that, And it's available like right from the, the very, yeah. very, very beginning. Like Literally the first thing I did when I played on, like I got out of, like the character got out of the room yep. where they're better. I forgot what yep. it was. And you turned it on? And, and no, and then I saw, yeah, that my, one of my friends were online, and then I just went on a chat with them, and it was like a voice chat. We just had like a conversation. Yeah. And we're like, whoa, I can't Yes, another thing is there's built-in voice chat in battle, out of battle. Yeah. Even it's, though it, it's it cool. gave us voice chat even, like, we, I battled Jason today, and it gave us voice chat even though we were local. Yeah, that was strange. We were playing locally in his room, in the very room we recorded this very podcast, and there was a crazy echo effect, because every time we spoke, the 3DS picked it up and sent it to the other 3DS. Yeah. It was very weird, but... But the um, oh, an intense battle. It, it, yeah, you tricked me. He had me convinced he did not have the new Pokemon game, X and Y, X or Y, up until the moment that he unleashed his really strong team against me. And I'm like, wait, how do you have this? And then I learned. But uh, I was gonna say though that even just like beyond, so beyond battling, beyond training, beyond O powers, there's another communal aspect of the online that I find really interesting, and that's you have a profile. You could fill it, there's a questionnaire, you could fill it out, stuff like what's your favorite music, what's your favorite type of Pokemon, you know, rudimentary things. But you can then view anyone's profile on that ticker, be it passerbys, yeah. which are the online people, or the people you all know, your friends, acquaintances, acquaintances being anyone that you've battled once, you can add to the acquaintance mm-hmm. list. So you can view that anytime, you can mark it as nice, which is basically a me versus yeah equivalent, which means this game really deserves that me versus, imagine it's a integrated with me versus, it'd be so perfect. But, and on top of all that, you also can make a demo video called a PR video oh, where you man. basically get, it's that a 12 second video yeah. where you just get to be like, look at me, look at my Pokemon, I'm so cool, or whatever. And it's an awesome concept because you could just watch anyone's, but the downside, and this is my, probably you my only to, nitpick. You have to approve it, right? You have to approve it. That's my only nitpick is, if you have a demo video where you're showing yourself off, why when someone connects to you, does it bring the game down to a halt? Like, the flow of the game just stops. You first have to save because you're on the internet and you're about to do something, so they don't want you to lose any data. That's understandable. So you save. Then you wait for their approval. Then they approve. Then you watch. Then you save it again after watching it. And it's just like, I think. I might be wrong about that. But it's just like, why is this so many steps? It should just be like a YouTube video that just streams. Like, I mean, I know why it's not, but that's because it's peer-to-peer, not on a server. Maybe that's something they'll fix on the Z version. Who knows? But it's just like all those little things, like even those silly little videos really bring that sense of community. And I, you know, I think at the end of the day, I think that actually sums up what Pokemon, what the core of Pokemon is better than anything else. And this is going to sound super cheesy, but it's kind of true. And that's just like a sense of community. Like it doesn't matter if you're exploring the world and talking to virtual characters in that community, or if you're battling friends and you have that community of people you're super like entrenched in EV stats and IV stats with. Or if you're online and doing random trades with Wonder Trade or giving O powers, at the end of the day, Pokemon is basically a very communal experience. It's a communal experience where you're catching these crazy little creatures and battling them. It's basically a very glorified game of rock, paper, scissors that they welcome anyone and everyone to play. In a nutshell. Yeah. So I think I think that is actually what the core of Pokemon is. I think that's what its DNA is. is It's just, what can we do to make the communal experience better? How can we make the world that you're interacting in feel more like the real world while still being whimsical and 
fantastical and full of crazy Pokemon, and yet also offer the depth and the seriousness and the like stat tracking and whatnot of like a super hardcore video game. Yeah. So Funny, I yeah. yeah. No, I, I, think it's, I don't know. I find it really interesting how it nicely balances like both of those sides. Like it's, yeah. I don't know, it's probably, That's like, the most, like, in-depth, like, it's, I don't know, it's, in, it's as in-depth as, like, any, like, hardcore fighting game, like, Street Fighter, it's, like... It but it's so be, welcoming on the yeah, surface. Yeah, yeah, it could be as, like, in-depth as you wanted, like, it, I don't know, it's yeah. ridiculous, like, how it does both things so nicely. Yeah, and I mean, like, in, and, and not only that, but, like, granted, uh, some would argue it's kind of kiddie on the surface, but I don't know, I mean, in Japan, the average Pokemon player is now college age. Yeah. Stat I read today. So, it's, uh, yeah, it's, like, one of those things that, you know... It's here for the long haul. It's not good. Obviously, it's not fat. It's been 17 years. 17 years since it was introduced. But I think... It did lose some steam at some point, but it's it picked ramping it back up. up. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like the buzz around X and Y is huge. Yeah, every elementary school kid in my school either has black and white. Is either still playing black and white or just got X and Y. Or yeah. has... Yeah, so it's... It's big. Their binders are bigger than the binders I saw when I was in elementary. And we right. were, like, when Pokemon just came out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we were the first wave. But they probably have, like, older siblings that mm-hmm. handed it down, so. But, yeah, no, uh, I think, yeah, I think, so I think that pretty much concludes our very lengthy impressions of X and Y and what we, and, you know, Pokemon as a whole. I mean, it is a so, big game. It is a big game, and as I really enjoyed I mean, I couldn't even escape from it. Like, I told myself I wasn't going to get it until and then Z. He did. And, yeah. <laughs> and they did within the first week. You, didn't, you couldn't even hold out for eight days. Yeah, you bought it five days in, not even four days in. And uh, every time I saw it at, in Best Buy, Target, GameStop, yep. like I'm all like, I want to get you, but yep. no. no. You know what's funny though is we spent all this time talking about Pokemon, and we, you know, we were able to pinpoint after that very long conversation that's really the community of Pokemon, and the Pokemon company, the guys that the subsidiary of Nintendo that runs Pokemon, naturally, they are very supportive of that community. They have their Pokemon tournaments and their, you know, the website and all that. And they also have a stage stream of announcements. Apparently, this isn't confirmed yet, but there may be another Pokemon announcement coming up on the 28th of October. The CEO of Pokemon Company is doing an interview. We're supposedly talking uh, about Sunday? a... Uh, I guess it would be next Sunday. No, this Next Monday. Monday. It'd be a week from Monday. This as of this recording. A week from this recording. October 20th. 28th. Oh, 28th. 28th. Sorry. Yeah, the 28th. So he's apparently talking about a, quote, unprecedented Pokemon game. And something about the game that that makes Pikachu him, one? yeah, something about the game makes him worry that Pikachu, the attitude towards Pikachu and how people and his popularity could take a hit with this. Conquer so bad for it with Pikachu. I think that's what it is. But whatever it is, we're gonna be. I mean, we talked about Pokemon a ton this episode, but definitely tune in next episode, which will be going live on November third, because we're gonna be talking about well, our thoughts on Pikachu change. Wow. Yeah, well, if assuming this turns out to be anything, we'll be talking about that not as much in depth, but pretty close, <laughs> and. Uh, also, be sure to tune in that episode because we'll have, uh, all, of course, all the latest news and impressions and whatnot. But in the meantime, as always, thanks for listening to this episode. We appreciate you sticking with us for our in-depth Pokemon conversation and hope you found it interesting along with the news and everything. We also, as we always do, have extras on the site. If you didn't check it out following our last episode of the podcast, definitely go to the site and check out my extra, um, the games and sites of IndieK 2013. I went to Indicate. I played all 17 games Nintendo had on display. It was the first event that Nintendo ever held where they did not have a single first-party game, as far as I know. So, yeah, definitely check that out. There's some interesting games, uh, some good photos of what the event was like. We, of course, have more extras coming up. Best way to make sure you don't miss any content on the site, be it the episode in two weeks on the 3rd or 
any of our, you know, flashbacks or any extra or any article is follow us on Twitter at Ram Nintendo. Uh, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You can follow me and Jose individually for our thoughts on gaming and more. I'm JSR7. Jose is Wero. That's W-E-I-R-O underscore O. Uh, on Meverse, he's the same name. And I am Jason R. If you want to friend us or follow us on there, we'd love to hang out in the virtual world of Yang. And I think that pretty much does it. So, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that, thanks for listening, and we will see you guys on November 3rd with our next